Ladies and gentlemen. Scheduled for one fall, and making his way to the mic from parts unknown, it's me, Eric. And I am the People's co-host, Cam, welcoming you to the podcast where our signature move is to look back at the pop culture of our youth, wrestle with our nostalgia, and then analyze it through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad, face or heel, it's about then and now, as we try our best to answer the question, What you gonna do, brother, when what were we watching runs wild on you? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This truly is where the big boys play. It's episode 189, WWF versus WCW, The Monday Night War. We're back together in person in the W4 studios. In a cage. In a steel cage. (laughs) And we've brought along a new friend. We are so honored to introduce to you Cody Stallings. Making his grand debut. (laughs) As it were, in a fresh new company, fresh new start, fresh new baby face I know, this coming is a, in. This is a big get. We, we plucked him away from a different promotion. A different this is podcast. a really big one, yeah. I was on another <laughs> podcast. I had to give the, the WWW as I went off the air, you know, just to let them know, let the fans know where to follow my career. <laughs> this is a real big get, and we are so excited to talk about the WWF, the WCW. Basically, this is the pro wrestling episode that we have been dreaming of for so long. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I'm excited to be a part of it. And yeah, you're one of the biggest wrestling fans I know, Cody, so we had to have you on for this one. I mean, it's one of those subjects where, you know, if I ever was in Congress and just needed to filibuster about something <laughs> for 12 straight hours, I could just blab and blab and blab about wrestling. So please don't let me do that here tonight. No, that is why you're here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah listeners, you're in for a ride. <laughs> But uh, yeah, even if you don't really follow attention or pay attention to professional wrestling, I'm going to try to bring everyone up to speed, you know, make yep. it very accessible. And, uh, uh, you did a great job in the, in the like, prep for this oh, episode. Yeah. Like, you gave us all kinds of history lessons uh, with your emails, like the, the content you provided, Eric and me. Yeah. Well, yeah. For sure. I'm talking about The Thank Rock, you. talking about pivotal moments, you know, from about, what is it, 96 to 2000 we're going to be covering? Yeah, yeah. So basically the premise here, because, you know, Pro wrestling is just such a vast topic. Of we we kind of had to limit it. And, and that's kind of like the right nostalgic window for all of us, I guess, is mm-hmm. like tweens, preteens, whatever you want to call it. And it was a big time for the wrestling business. Just tons of change happening and massive popularity. Well, it was the absolute boom, too. And we yep. came around just in the right time to be little boys in the playground with these badass matches and Hell in the Cell and mm-hmm. First Blood and just all this crazy, crazy oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. So we're going to get into it, but first we're going to start just before we get in specifically to that era. I'm just curious, you know, we, we always ask everyone, like, what's the first time you saw this movie or TV show? But this time, a little different. Basically, when was the first encounter with professional wrestling? How did you become a wrestling fan? Well, 
I mean, I wasn't a true fan until around the Attitude Era, but I do remember as a kid at around 94, 95, they had a wrestling show in Saturday Morning Cartoons, which was just sort of intercut between them. Sort of more of a preview show, sort of a recap on the Raw and pay-per-views, but I remember Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, but it wasn't really a thing. It was just sort of a thing that was on in between cartoons that, Mm. you know, I was too lazy to change the channel. But yeah, then around uh, 97, 98... When uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin started coming into foray, just everyone's school started talking about wrestling. So I turned on Raw, and I was just hooked as hell. Oh man! Mm-hmm. I think I remember the first match I ever saw that really got me invested. It was it was Ken Shamrock of the Corporation. He was the Intercontinental Champion. He was facing Billy Gunn at Degeneration X. Billy Gunn won the Intercontinental Title, and then through some chicanery, someone comes down and says, "No, match is reversed. Ken Shamrock has the title." And I was like. Bullshit. How could they do this to Billy Gunn? How on earth could they do this to Billy Gunn when he just won the match? Welcome to the drama of pro wrestling. Oh, man. I ended up really liking Ken Shamrock after that, too, which was the ironic part. He's kind of a badass, but that first night, man. Oof. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the story of how I first got into it. The storytelling. It sucked you in. It sucked me in so much. Just the man drama. (laughs) How about you, Cam? I know you love man drama. Oh, yeah course um so i was trying to think back like the first time a pro wrestler was on my radar was hulk hogan like early 90s i think i maybe saw a movie that he was in i want to say suburban commando but yeah, it's gonna it's a good one <laughs> i'm not sure because i don't remember that movie at all but there was definitely like i wanted a, a hulk one of those hulk hogan like buddy plushes the like dolls that you know you could like wrestle with or whatever because they're like large these wrestling buddies. Yeah, right there we go. I got a visual aid here. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> the, the Hulk one. Yeah, Hulk rules. Um, that was like on my Christmas list. I never got it, but uh, I think there there had to have been a reason that I wanted that. And I don't remember watching wrestling as a kid, so I feel like it was probably a Hulk movie. Is my guess. Maybe it was Gremlins too. I know I saw that. Okay, and he's in that. The Hulkster's in that one. And yeah, yeah similarly though, I didn't I didn't really get into watching pro wrestling until. Yeah, like Stone Cold days, and I think my brother was kind of more the fan, and mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, what are you watching? And then I kind of got into it by osmosis. Tagged along. Yeah. I was the Kane to his undertaker. <laughs> the younger brother. Yes. <laughs> the taller, more jacked brother. <laughs> so hideously defigured, you have to wear a mask for half your life, right? Exactly. So my story is it's kind of similar to yours, Cody. I was definitely like, doing that channel surfing in the early nineties and would land on these, like this very colorful, like quasi sporting competition. I was already (laughs) like big into sports as a little kid Mm. and, you know, just be captivated by these small snippets. And I later realized we're both WWF and WCW, just whatever I could find. But I didn't really become a fan in earnest until about late 90, 1994 run in 1995 because I had a bunch of friends who were enthusiastic fans. So shout out to Mikey, to Brian, and especially to Alex who became an indie wrestler himself. Mm-hmm. But I was there for most of the new generation era. Cody knows what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is universally seen as a low point for the WWF in particular and kind of wrestling in general. Yeah. But the funny thing is that's kind of like, that's what grabbed me. Like, that's mm-hmm. like I have so much nostalgia for that era. And I would continue watching as it evolved into the Attitude Era. But as I'll go into, my relationship to wrestling changed a little bit by that point. But it's, you know, it's kind of, it, it, it was just, it was just burrowed in too early. It's always kind of been in the background of my life. I go back to it every number of years. 
and it's just always something that's on the back burner. Like I'll I'll watch videos on YouTube or I'll look up some old matches and just watch them for a spell. I I had I had subscribed to the WWE Network for like eight <laughs> months just to be like, oh, I want to rewatch some of this stuff, mm-hmm. and then cancel it because i'm like i can't i don't have the time to keep up with it it's just so it's kind of like this very like revolving door relationship i've had with wrestling throughout mm-hmm. my life but the stuff we're going to talk about now still very vivid to me still mm-hmm. all about it so yeah. well yeah it's the best time of the business oh, for yeah. sure i guess we, we we kind of started with the principle like we wanted to cover kind of like big historic moments in wrestling during this time just because mm-hmm. we feel like that's the kind of stuff we remember the most. But we're really here to talk about whatever we remember about wrestling and what we liked, what we didn't like. But let's just get started because we want the listeners to know kind of like the matches that we watched. The first big match was from WCW Batch at the Beach, 1996. Oh. Well, the thing that you were talking about, the new generation, yeah. I mean, that was pretty much Hulk Hogan was established as the star of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was 92 or 93. He leaves WWE, it's called WWE, he leaves WWE, he does a stupid TV show on like a network for a while that only lasted one season and then signs with WCW, but still sort of does the same thing with, you know, the red and yellow. It's always the, the big monster heel who's going to beat down Hogan, but then Hogan uh, comes up and does the U and hits the leg drop and wins and the crowd goes wild. But... um. I mean, you have to talk about Hulk Hogan. You talk about professional wrestling just because his fingerprints are all over every aspect of this. But um, he hadn't been a bad guy since his early, early, early days. And I mean, Bash at the Beach, 96, if you don't know, that's when Hulk Hogan turned heel. And that basically kicked things off from the new generation, childhood era, to more badass, more kick-ass, more cool bad guys type of thing. Mm Do they know what fit turning heel and turning face are? Because that's an important part of wrestling as well. Right. For listeners that don't know, faces are good guys. Baby faces are good guys, yes. Heels are villains. Heels are bad guys. And you can be either one, you can be the other. So you either want to be the guy the crowd loves, you want to be the guy the, guy the crowd despises. And uh, like I told them in the email, you make more money as a face, you sell all the t-shirts, the kids love you, but you just have more fun as a heel. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hulk Hogan, when you turn your biggest star heel... The problem with that is you wonder who he's going to fight with, who he's going to replace, because you just basically turned your basic cash cow into someone who the audience isn't going to get behind. But that was the point of the NWO, is it stopped being, it started being cool to cheer for the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. right. you know? And that's what this match is all about. So, like, there's this other meta layer even going on at this Bash at the Beach, because WCW is being quote unquote invaded by the wrestlers Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, mm-hmm. who are most well known in their previous characters, Diesel and Razor Ramon, in the World Wrestling Federation. So, the Outsiders, they, yeah, they became the Outsiders in WCW, and so they they come in for, and for months. They're just you know turning everything upside down and making everyone upset uh, in WCW because they're defending their turf against this incursion by the WWF and. At Bash of the Beats, they're like, we're going to reveal like our third member, like the third guy who's in with us in our quest to destroy WCW. And it turns out to be Hulk Hogan. Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> well, see, the big angle at that time, too, was just the fact that they had taken two guys from the other company, where Diesel used to be their world champion. He was the world champion for a year. Rosie Ramon was another big guy. But the business is really all about, it's sort of like the story Frankenstein. 
where you build these guys up to be these big unbeatable monsters and then they turn on you and go, I'm a big unbeatable monster. I want my money. Yep. I want my push to the top of the card. And if you can't give it to them, they go, screw you. I'm going to go find someone who will pay me. So that's the big problem that WCW had was they had Ted Turner backing them and Ted Turner basically said, here, just take the money, go and spend it, beat WWF, bring in whoever the hell you want, sign Hulk Hogan, sign these guys, give them these big money contracts. And WWF, it's always been Vince McMahon. It's always been very shrewdly run. Even now, they're making so much money and they're cutting back on talent and expenses just because it's all about bottom line. Ruthless, yeah. Stuff like that. But um. I mean, it was definitely the signal that, you know, we're going to be the company that brings in all the top guys and we're going to literally take your guys and pretend like your guys are invading them and we're going to keep it sort of vague mm-hmm. and noncommittal and not really say that they're with us and sort of hint that they're coming from the other company right. to invade our company. Like Scott Hall has that promo. He's like, you know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. <laughs> it's like really twink. So yeah, it's a whole new, like you're opening a whole new playbook of possibilities and storytelling. Yeah. And I do remember, even though I wasn't, I was still, I was primarily a WWF fan hmm. um, at this time. And I was, I still remember hearing through the either like Hulk Hogan's a bad guy now. And you're like, what? Because yeah, all my experience is, well, through old videos I would rent. You go to the video store, you go to the, quote unquote special interest section. Mm-hmm. That's where all like the old wrestling pay per views were. And I would do my research. I would I would I would do my, my history lessons, just renting early nineties WWF pay per views, late eighties sometimes too. And there was nothing nothing else but Hulk Hogan in the yellow and red, the big white meat baby face, USA, eat your vitamins, say your prayers. So <laughs> That I, I definitely was like, I don't like that <laughs> as a nine year old, of course. I was like, I don't know if I like this new Hulk Hogan. This is very <laughs> strange. It's just for the fact, I don't think I was like betrayed or anything because I was never a huge Hulk Hogan fan, mm-hmm. but like it just didn't seem right. <laughs> like, it just didn't, mm-hmm. it just felt very, very odd. It just felt like something they were doing. It was such a calculated risk in doing so, too. Yeah. Like the thing I find most interesting about wrestling that really just sells me on it, it's. A scripted reality show. It's fake. Let's all acknowledge that just yeah. in case. But Sorry. so are movies and books and so, comics. and Exactly. <laughs> but unlike movies and comics and books, they usually have some sort of hierarchy. You know, if you have a show, the main character of your show is going to be the main character. You're not mm-hmm. going to suddenly switch to a lesser character. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas wrestling, it goes on and on and on. So you right. sort of see these guys build. But the interesting thing is it's all the, the booker's decision. Yeah. It's you want to win a Eric wants to win a match. Cam wants to win a match. Right. They both come to me and say, hey, Cody, I think I should win this match. I'm pretty over. And I got to decide who succeeds and who fails. And so every wrestler that succeeds, be it Hogan, be it Austin, be it John Cena, they have to become this politician. They have to get in the boss's ear and butter Mm. them up. And that's what Hulk Hogan was so good at, is just buttering up, letting everyone know he was the star of the company. (laughs) And really, I mean, to the point of being kind of a narcissist and kind of a... (laughs) (laughs) kind of a scumbag to fellow wrestlers and not putting them over and sort of all these screwy finishes where he'd lose the title, but it'd be, you know, a fast count or Mr. Fiji would throw sand in his eyes and he'd be blinded or something (laughs) like that. And he rarely ever lost cleanly, but I mean, that's wrestling for you, Mm. but, um, it is a lot of politicking and yeah. Well, that's a whole downfall of WCW, which mm-hmm. we're going to cover as the years go by, <laughs> is just how they stood fast to these big stars and refused mm-hmm. to let the younger guys shine. 
and sort of basically established a glass ceiling that brought the company down because fans got tired of seeing Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, and they wanted mm-hmm. to see, you know, The Rock. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see Kane. They wanted to see Stone Cold Steve Austin and all these up-and-coming stars the WWE had to promote because all the other guys had left for the WCW. They chased the money away, except Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, while we're on the subject of Kevin Nash, I also I did want to say I was a big Diesel fan when he was in WWF. And oh, my God. I have some uh, photos here. We'll post these on the Instagram, too, at some point. But Halloween, 1995, I went as the WWF champion. Jeez. Diesel. <laughs> oh, amazing. And then this... So that's me holding the belt. This one you can see more of. I'm wearing the gloves, and I made my own sweatshirt. Oh, my Big God. Daddy the cool. Big Daddy Cool. He's got the backwards <laughs> hat. Look at that. Wow. Also, uh, in that picture, that's my sister as Judge Lance Ito. So. <laughs> oh, we, we mentioned this yeah. in a previous episode. <laughs> yeah. So that is the most 1995 image there ever was. <laughs> Judge Lance Ito and Big Daddy Cool. WWE Champion Diesel. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. Dude, that's amazing. I never dressed as a wrestler for Halloween. I oh. didn't mention it. That's not true. I, 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 I have a very vivid memory of you coming to one of our Chumungus parties as CM Oh, as a Punk. luchador. Or CM Punk. Oh, I was CM Punk. Yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah. No, never you mind. You taped your hands and everything. I taped my hands and everything. I had a little title that I wore from Toys R Us. Okay, yeah. I did go <laughs> CM Punk one year. One of my faves from my second, my second wave. But that's a story for another podcast. My yeah, second he's wave still of doing nothing. He's still sitting at home just <laughs> tweeting. So also from this era is like, I remember going to uh, shows like in the 95, 96, because mm-hmm. uh, they would come to um, um, Stable Arena, which is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and historically WWF's turf because they're, you know, a New York based company. Oh, yeah. And back in the earlier days of wrestling or even not that or like up until the 80s, really, it was all kind of like territory based. So each promoter would have their own chunk of the country that they were running events in. Mm-hmm. Um Northeast was always WWF territory. So long history. Uh, my dad would take me to these events and he's like, they are so damn long. <laughs> it'd be like a taping for superstars, mm-hmm. the, the Saturday show. And they wanted, you know, they'd bank so many matches. So you're sitting there for like five hours, just watching a parade of Jesus of all the wrestlers they've got. <laughs> oh man. But it, it was a blast. I loved it back then i ate it up and i would even i would go to like indie shows in our high school gym oh nice a couple of promotions would come to town and, nice and my friend aforementioned friend alex around this time like 96 97 had his birthday party at the wild samoans wrestling school which is also in bethlehem dude and i forget his name but he's the patriarch of that uh clan that includes you know fatu and Samu, the head shrinkers in WWF. Wasn't that like everyone too? The Rock and Roman Reigns. I guess. I guess. And the yeah. Usos? Everyone's connected. To that. I guess. Family. Yeah. You're right. They're all kind of connected somehow. Yeah. Their familial connection is there. But um, Afa is the guy, uh, or that was his wrestling name. Um, he's the guy who opened that school. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. You train with him for like a birthday party and such. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I, I don't know if they were in the business of doing birthday parties, but. I mean, this kid was a huge wrestling fan, and I'm sure his parents just like found a way to make it work. Like, Jeez. probably approach these. And yeah, I remember we, you know, we we go, we have the pizza and the cake at a table they've set up. But then, like, we get we were allowed to get in the ring, and they had a couple of their trainees there, like showing us how to do moves. And wow. we did That's like a awesome. big tag team match against each other. 
Oh my god, that's the greatest birthday party ever! <laughs> Why didn't they have that on Long Island? I, I want to do that. We can still, we can probably do it now. We can find a wrestling school that oh, do accommodate us. My back would probably hurt. <laughs> One freaking bump off the top rope. That's and true. Be in pain. The, the, the coup de gras was like Alex was like he he was like ten years old, but he was kind of using it as a mini audition because when we were all done, he's like, check out what I can do. He climbed up to the top turnbuckle, did a backflip, hmm. and and, and Alpha looks at him. She's like. Come back when you're 18. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, and he probably did. That's as pretty far good as I know. Is. Yeah. Now, it, yeah. All my wrestling happened in the swimming pool when I was a kid okay. between me and my brother, where we would just every single freaking finishing move. The only one they didn't like us doing was the choke slam because you couldn't mm. choke them in the pool, I guess. <laughs> But freaking power bombs and rock bottoms and stone cold oh, stunners nice. so and like off the deck into the pool. No, just like in the shallow section, okay. just because it's you know it's water, so you can slam him down. He's not gonna hurt himself. But um, I mean, and yeah, sometimes I do a couple of a couple of moves off the diving board. Mm-hmm. The Swanton bomb from Jeff Hardy that was a really big one to do off the diving board. Man. I wish, do you have video of this? I would love to see you. I could <laughs> straight up do a swanton bomb into any pool right now oh, and do yes. it perfectly just with the finger guns up. I've never been able to like flip frontwise or backwise in any fashion <laughs> in my life, like you know, after uh, jumping off of a height. So I'm very, very envious of people who can do that. Well, I was lifeguarded for a while. I had one right. try that I tried to do it, and I just went completely boom and landed right on the back. I got 75% of the way there, <laughs> but I got a nice flat smack. Okay. I just sort of had to float there. And the lifeguard on stand was like, Cody, do I need to come in and save you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> just let me die here for a couple of minutes. <laughs> but after that, I'm like, you know what? This flipping business is just not for me. Right. But for some reason, the swanton, it, like, you came in at a weird angle where it was sort of like a dive. Right. Where, so that's what that's basically it's like a front dive, but like at the very end you're kind of like flipping so you land on your back. Mm. You kinda of go with your head and your neck. I think that's how Jeff Hardy does it, at least. But yeah, I don't know. It kinda of like yeah, it kinda of like rolls out. Mm. You know what's even better do? Elbow drop off the diving board. Yeah, that's classic. That's just classic. <laughs> Get a back it up, smack the elbow and then just go poof, right into the pool. We'll definitely do that, yes. In my friend's pool. Lots of mm. elbow drops, leg drops too. Leg drops. I never really did the leg drop, it hurt my butt. Yeah. You Less know? of those. Yeah. Less of those. Same. It would, it would hurt. I don't even think I could do leg drops if I was a wrestler. It just seems a lot of damage to your lower back. And yeah. the guys that end up doing that for like the leg drop off the top rope end up having really bad lower back stuff. Mm. That and the diving headbutt. Just no. Nah. Anything with your head. No, no. I like a nice <laughs> five-star frog splash. That's about, That would be my <laughs> finishing move. You know? Nice land on your stomach. Nice clean bump. Yeah. And it's like more like a belly flop. Man. It's more doable. Man. And wrestling school <laughs> this was also the so like 96 97 um is also when i'm getting the wwf magazine because mm. i was a reader and you better believe i was reading about wwf written by vince russo as i later came oh boy <laughs> we're gonna be talking about him later on yeah. famous uh booker which is like the head writer basically of a wrestling show it's yeah, it's the showrunner. It has a lot of power in terms of deciding the angles, yeah. more so than any other show, because it's you're the basically the guy in charge of making the decisions of mm-hmm. who goes over, of who to push. So yeah. it sort of relies on you. And I mean, Vince McMahon has been pretty much doing it since what 1982 mm-hmm. till 2021, been the sole guy in charge of everything the WWF do, WWE does. I still, I still, I can't not call it the it's because we're talking in the past yeah. that's why <laughs> it's just i oh. mean even today it's like hard for me to say wwe just because like it's not 
It's, it's just never stuck with me. If you don't know, it used to be the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, and then the World Wildlife Fund, the stupid panda organization <laughs> about conservation. Apparently, all their money is not going towards conservation. It's going towards their lawyers. Because they took the <laughs> WWE to court, and they were like, you're not being the WWF anymore. That is us. And they, they're, oh, okay. We're WWE from now on. But yeah, that's like one of the all time like that. That's an underdog story to rival anything that you find on a wrestling show. I think like right? you have I feel like the WWF because this also happened like in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like WWF was a wrestling was a way more recognized global brand than the World Wildlife. But Fund. I always saw the World Wildlife Fund like around. You see it right. like, yeah, here and there places. So it was definitely like in the purview. But WWF yeah. was the biggest yeah. thing. The World Wildlife Fund is nothing to sneeze at, like you said. But I'm still baffled by that. But it did lead to that really funny and very, very pro wrestling ad campaign where they're like, get the F out. Get the F out. (laughs) Get it? Because WWF to WWE. So they're trying to be a little edgy there. Get the F out. Get the F out. (laughs) The funny thing is E is like a softer. It's like it's a vowel. Yeah. And uh, that's just like inherently softer than an F. (laughs) Yeah. The F is edgier. You want the Mm. F. But the problem, it kind of sounds like we. That's the thing. <laughs> you don't, it's like a very sort of like childlike term for a wrestling company, like AEW, WCW, yeah. ECW. Those yeah. have like sort of mm. er to them. Mm-hmm. WWE. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are hitting it on the head, I think. It's, yeah, it's that soft, that very soft vowel sound. Yeah. It doesn't seem, doesn't sound right. The F just like matches the 90s like Edgelord quality of yeah this era <laughs> get the f out cam well there's the question what would you call it then if not ww you're the w you're vince mcmahon the pandas have won the panda lawyers have destroyed you <laughs> you got to change the name of the company but still keep it sort of close to wwf what are yeah. you going for you got to go with the edgiest letter there is the k <laughs> world wrestling community i mean part of me just wants to go the the normal route for that time and call it wwx world wrestling oh, extreme X. there we go oh there my we god go. <laughs> okay i take it back WWX is the and most like it edgy. even sounds like you know it's almost phonetic it's phonetically very similar to f like wwx yeah and it's still got that same Definitely. bite at the end you should pitch this i would have hated that if it was wwx right? that's, that just sounds so amateur yeah i mean every, it's, wwe sounded so weird at the beginning too i mean but w- now we're used w- to it. Yeah, we're used to it now. I'm still not. Except for me. Yeah. <laughs> Except for me. <laughs> All right. Well, just at least when I'm talking about it, I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to say WWF. You trip up when you yeah. try to say it. Yeah. Well, we're referring to the same company. WWF and WWE are right. the same. Right. WCW got no name changes. No. Hmm. Well, they briefly became NWO for a pay-per-view or two. Yes. That's a That was a storyline. The company was still... WCW like t- being taken over by people on their payroll. That was that's always like funny. Like in retrospect, like you you scrutinize that storyline for a while. Like wait a minute. Like, <laughs> well, what happened was after bashing the beach, yeah. Hogan, Hall, and Nash, the NWO were the hottest freaking thing in wrestling. They were white hot. Ratings were through the roof. Everyone was tuning in to see what they were. And then they just started adding more and more and more and more members because it was such a hot thing. They just wanted to get everyone on board, come to the train, wear the T-shirt. So, I mean, pretty much everyone started joining. Macho Man Randy Savage joined. Mm. uh, Ted DiBiase joined. The Giant joined. Lex Luger. But then obscure wrestlers, too, just like Hulk Hogan's nephew or cousin, Horace Hogan. Horace, yeah, his cousin, I think. Yeah. Or no, his nephew. His nephew, right. Was it his nephew? I think so. It might have been his cousin. 
some sort of Virgil. blood relation. <laughs> Virgil joined. Can't forget, can't forget wrestling superstar Virgil. Oh, man. See, I think WCW I was way less familiar with. Mm. So a lot of these names are going over my head. I know like Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. And I remember hearing Sting's name. Yep, Sting. But um, He's, he's yeah. like the... like quintessential WCW guy along with Ric Flair who yeah. I'm sure you've heard of yeah, as yeah, well yeah. so the thing I noticed about this match the the bash of the beach mm-hmm. just as an outsider that not not one, <laughs> of, the, <laughs> not one of the outsiders you're the third man, third man. <laughs> um, you're Kevin Nash type just, yeah. if I'm analyzing just this match in a bubble I'm seeing definitely like the changing of the guard yep you know the entering of this new era but also just like aesthetically I see like the the old guard you know wearing bright colors and face paint and it's a little like cornier, like a little cheesier, and then like the the new blood is literally like blood colored. They're like more edgy and badass, yeah. and you know black and red, and you know just a little more attitude, more like we don't give a fuck. We're breaking all the rules. I just see like an old style of wrestling, kind of like literally like being defeated and yeah. being like taken over. Um, even like the ref, I feel like reminds me of like an old boxing ref, like with the bow tie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was the case if they kind of transitioned into like the the, the stripes of like sporting event refs that were in the later matches that we looked at. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of see it as like this sort of like old fashioned like boxing almost. Even Michael Buffer is there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to more of theatrics, more edge lord, badass kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll talk more about that evolution as we as yeah. we keep moving on. Yeah, but mm. that's kind of what I'm noticing with this first match. Is like okay, we're Something is changing. It's, yeah, man, even like 25 years later, it's like such clear storytelling because that's, yeah. I feel like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It was the, that was the jump start into the whole era of just attitude and just leaving behind the kitty crap and the bright colors mm-hmm. and the do 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 and <laughs> yeah. all that and just really starting to get like. Like even the acting kind of feels a little more like hokier in, in that right. first match. Like, way more obvious that like, it's fake when lex luger like gets knocked out like yeah. he's like the, the thing that was so devastating was like sting kind of like flopped on him in the corner and then he's like out cold and I'm like, <laughs> okay <laughs> like do something a little more yeah that looks a little more injurious injurious yeah. you know <laughs> it's like oh no and all the commentators which by the way i think my favorite part of this entire exercise was getting to listen to <laughs> wrestling commentary from yeah. this era yeah <laughs> It's like, oh my god! It's like probably more than fifty percent of what sells it. Like you have the in-ring stuff, but then you have like these people talking about it and like mm-hmm. kind of like spurring you on, or like they're, they're cutting in just at the right moment to kind of emphasize something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I do love me some Jr. and the King, and like on WCW, Bobby Heenan is just a genius. Tony Schiavone had his moments. Tony Schiavone, tonight's the greatest night in the history of pro wrestling. Every Nitro, he would say, yeah. this is the greatest match tonight in the history of pro wrestling. In the history of our sport. <laughs> the history of our sport. You've never seen this. Don't tune away. But uh, not nah, Jim Ross is such a big part of my childhood. Yeah. Just because I can do like that. The Jim Ross vocal thing, when he would get excited for a match and just start screaming his ass off. My God. My God. He's going to knock a sober knocker in him. <laughs> And he's still working too. He's still uh, commentating AEW. Yeah, and it's such like a distinct voice. Like that's again, like in that era, there was there were still like very very distinct voices that were kind of holdovers from territorial wrestling days. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I feel like every commentator, and this is true of like every televised athletic thing, it's just like very middle America accent. Like everyone kind of sounds the same. Mm-hmm. But back then, you had you know the Oklahoma accent, 
Jim Ross. That thick, thick yeah. Oklahoma accent. Well, even before then, too, it was the era of Vince McMahon being right. in commentary. Oh, man, I love Vince doing the WWF commentary. He was, he so was good. great at it <laughs> yeah. because he knew the product. He knew how to sell it better than anyone because he was the guy writing it. Oh, my. What a maneuver. Yeah, 100%. And, like, him and um, the king. To get, like, the king is just, I mean, he got really, really gross as time went on. <laughs> <laughs> but... I th- I will say he always had like a super quick wit. Like him and Heenan always like were like right there with the zinger, and it didn't seem scripted at all. Like because mm-hmm. they probably most of them probably weren't. Like they just kind of like had those in their back pocket. Well, you always want to have sort of the traditional commentator thing is you have a play by play guy, which is either a Vince McMahon type or a guy from the sports world. Yeah. Jim Ross was a good one. Uh, right now it's Michael Cole is doing it for the product. And then the color commentator, you want a former wrestler who can have more of that sort of character, more of mm-hmm. that edge. Sometimes play the heel. Yeah. Like that's what Jerry Lawler was very good at yeah. is taking the heel side and Bobby the Brain Heenan especially. Perfect. Is just whatever the bad guy does, reinvent it in your head as they're the good guy. Mm-hmm. The most famous example is uh, the, the Rockers when they broke up. Shawn Michaels kicked... Marty Jannetty through a barbershop his, his window. Tag team, his friend and tag team partner. <laughs> his friend and tag team partner, his best buddy. And he just kicked him through a window. And Bob Brinheenan goes, look at Jannetty trying to escape through the window. What a coward. <laughs> 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 but just stuff like that, lines like that, still make you guys crack yeah, up. You don't even, it even is. know the rockers, yeah. but that's a great line. <laughs> just knowing that. Um, and they've kind of gone back on that in recent years, too, where they yeah. really don't have no, they don't. heel for sympathizing many, many answers. Years. I think Corey Graves was trying to do it for a hot second. Yeah. But he wasn't, you know, he was kind of getting there. I I always, I, I think about it too with Bobby Heenan in that Bash at the Beach match because the whole time, he's the only one who's not like kind of indignant. Like when Hogan comes out, he's like, he goes, whose side is he on? And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. But that makes sense because Hogan was always his adversary. And yeah. so he's like, I don't trust this guy at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when, when it's revealed, he's like, yep, well, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Man. Look at all the little Hulk Hulksters. They're all crying. Like he's, yeah. he's taking delight in it. Yeah. It's the continuity in professional wrestling, you know? Yes. You spend all that time hating Hulk Hogan. You're not going to suddenly turn yeah. around and like him. Like, this is what I mean when I, I've, I've often said this to uh, some of my friends. Like, wrestling was my comic books. I didn't read comics when I was mm. a kid. But, like, this was basically the same thing to me. Because you have the combination of, like, there's all this lore and backstory and this, like, perpetually continuing story. Mm-hmm. So, like... It's just never ending, and that's a really good example why. And the planting and payoff mm-hmm. is incredible. So, what do you, what do you guys think? Let's. You want to move on then to our next big milestone? Next big thing. Do we have anything else more to say about the NWO? The NWO. It was really hot. Yeah. I mean, they started taking over. Everyone wanted to be a part of it, and it basically just became the rest of WCW had to team up. Hence the video game. Yes. N sixty four, WCW versus NWO Revenge. So that it made so former enemies had to go, you know what? We should have to put aside our differences. This NWO problem mm-hmm. is a really, really big one. But, um, I mean, those were the glory years, really, when Hogan was at the head of it. Yeah. That's when, like, the WCW became more popular than WWF. And famously, the Monday night show that WCW had Nitro, it ran the same time slot as WWF show, Monday Night Raw. And WCW started winning in the ratings every single week for, I think, 83 straight 83 weeks. 83 straight weeks. And before those 83, it was sort of back and forth. They'd one take one. It was very, very close. And then NWO happens and just mm. 
through the roof. So it's it's like yeah, people are responding to this new like edgy, a little more reality based, like a little more contemporary brand of wrestling and storytelling. But well, then too, you we'll were talking see. about Sting before. Yes, Sting underwent. Sting was probably the biggest enemy of the NWO, and I think their biggest uh, ever match in WCW history. Because he was had the face paint, you know, mm-hmm. black colors. He wore like yellow tights with white face paint. Yep. Very surfer dude. And uh, he comes back. What? what ha- there was something with like the NWO had a fake sting. Yeah, they, they, were said, they said, him. "Look at our new member. It's Sting, and it's clearly another guy in the face paint." But then they didn't believe him. <laughs> it's all sting his from friends, the police. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Sting from the police. But then all his friends were like, "Oh, I Sting turned on us." Blah blah blah. And Sting came back and was like, "I didn't turn on yeah. you. That's a fake Sting." Yeah, but it's like, it's like the Clone Saga. You all. The Clone Saga, basically. So he turns emo, basically. Hmm. And what I actually learned recently was he was actually going through a lot of like personal shit in his life yeah. with uh, substance abuse and drinking and hmm. cheating on his wife. So he was kind of in a really bad place. Mm. So he basically just started dressing like the crow and just not even wrestling, not speaking and just showing up in the rafters, just looking at everyone. Are you telling me sting was sending out an SOS? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I hope they got it. (laughs) Sending out. But, uh, and then, yeah, he wouldn't say a word. He'd just come down to the ring. He's like, I'll be watching you. (laughs) And he'd hand someone a bat and he'd turn their back. And he tests them. If you hit Sting with the back, he couldn't uh, trust you. But if you just dropped the bat and were like, Sting, what are you doing? He'd be like, okay, I see what you're going for. <laughs> but that thing, he started wearing the black and white face paint. Right. So the entire time he was in the rafters, it was, is he in the NWO or is he not in the NWO? Because he's wearing their colors. See, that's probably the image I know is like the crow, the more the crow yeah. aesthetic. Crow mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. But yeah, it worked. It, a year build payoff up until Starcade, which was basically their WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, the Hogan versus Sting big main event. It, literally a year to build a single match, yep. which they did with uh, John Cena and The Rock. But The Rock was off doing Hollywood. He wasn't watching in the rafters no. <laughs> every single week on Raw. It would have been funny, though. It was a really, like, really weird travel the schedule. Rock staring. <laughs> Not saying a word. The Rock with the Sting face paint. Yeah. The baseball bat. <laughs> well, back to the good old WWF. Okay. The second big match we watched big milestone was at survivor series of 1997 so it's late 1997 Shawn michaels against brett the hitman hart the in... montreal screw job oh, yes i guess a little bit of background is that brett hart and Shawn michaels do not care for each other in real life in this era they were constantly kind of the basically the two top guys in the company for several years both had their reigns with the company's world championship and at this point in mid-1997 brett has it and he's actually been offered a contract by wcw if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and he's going to go to wcw but he just has to do one thing and that is defend this title against Shawn michaels well the thing what had happened was years earlier um not years earlier a couple years earlier there was uh the ww women's champion was uh alundra blaze and she held the title and she left the company to sign WCW and then shows up on Nitro with the WWF Women's Championship, picks up a trash can, hmm. and throws it in the trash. And Vince was so enraged right. by that visual that I think he didn't. He stopped the Women's Championship for a couple of years and said, yeah. OK, women, you don't get a belt because it was in the trash. But he said, I'm, I would never, ever, ever let that happen. Where Brett was champion, walking out of the company to a rival company. With the belt, yeah. 
Now, the difference between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels is Bret's a very serious, very dedicated technical wrestler. He lives and breathes the business. His mm-hmm. father, Stu Hart, is one of the greats in wrestling. His whole family tree, his brother Owen Hart, rest in peace, died a tragic accident in 98. But he just takes everything very seriously. While Shawn Michaels was this pretty boy douchebag, he's since become a better person. Yeah, but, but he was in that era, he was especially impossible. He v- was big ego. Very hard to work with, very hard to and get along with. Had the talent to back it up. Too. Definitely. <laughs> had the talent, had the good looks, the ladies loved him and everything, but their two personalities just yeah. didn't clash. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, too, they had different factions backstage. Shawn Michaels had the clique, which was Hall and Nash, the Outsiders, uh, Triple H, who now owns the company pretty much, <laughs> and X-Pac. And then Brett basically had his family and also had a thing where, like, other wrestlers were married to his sisters. I think Jim Neidhart, British right. Bulldog, right. just sort of weird somewhat relations. Brian Pillman was in there before his, uh, mm-hmm. before his passing. But... um. Yeah, so the time came. Survivor Series was the last pay-per-view that Brett was scheduled for, and they needed him to drop the title. And this is the thing with professional wrestling is you can never get a straight story. Because <laughs> everyone just tells their side of the story. Yeah, it's just carny through and through. Hmm. What's, just... that, what's that Kurosawa movie? Rashomon. Rashomon. <laughs> yes, that is every story in professional wrestling that goes wrong. That's is very apt. <laughs> let me tell you what happened, and I am completely innocent, and it was everyone else's fault unless something good happened. And this was also a time, too, when... People were coming up that you wouldn't expect. Stone Cold Steve Austin was pretty much an established upper mid-card to main event superstar. Mm-hmm. The Rock was even wrestling. Mm-hmm. I saw a video of the Rock Nation nomination feuding with the uh, Hart Foundation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and Bret Hart in the WWE ring fighting each other, which is just crazy. Yeah, it's wild to think about. <laughs> but it I think um, Bret said, Bret claims that Bret said, you know, I'll drop the title to someone else. I'll drop it to Austin. I'll drop it to The Undertaker. I'll drop it to just not asshole Shawn Michaels mm, right. I'm not dropping Shawn the title because fuck that guy Vince went oh just okay whatever you'll face Shawn at the right. pay-per-view but you'll, you'll keep the title and it's also happening in Canada which is another demand supposedly that Bret Hart made is like I will not lose a title in Canada which is hilarious <laughs> it's just like <laughs> come on dude now Bret Hart's <laughs> gimmick at this time too I told you about face and heel there's a third category that's rare called tweener which basically means you're somewhere in the middle, you're morally gray, and you can be good or bad depending on what you have. So the gimmick Bret Hart was going out on was he hated America and loved Canada. <laughs> Canadian nationalists. Awesome. Canadian nationalists <laughs> who just loved Canada. So what would happen was he'd come to stadiums in the United States and they'd boo him out the, biz, boo him out the building. He hates America. He hates his stupid Americans. That he'd go up to Canada and they would love him. Yeah. <laughs> he would be the conquering hero and they'd cheer every word he said. And it's really, I don't think it's been done before or have it not done since. I think, well, there, there have been Teams Canada, I think, in promotions since then, but nothing on this level. Nothing on that level for sure. Because they, they don't really tour in Canada that much except the WWE. Like Impact isn't, they had a Team Canada, didn't they? Yeah, but they never went to Canada. They never went to Canada. <laughs> that, which is the weirdest thing. They just had a bunch of guys who were from Canada originally. Who just start trashing America. It's an easy gimmick to do. It's yeah. just, ah, you dumb Americans. Well, yeah, the, the foreign heel is a very, very old established type in professional wrestling. And it just adds that extra bit of ridiculous sauce when it's like a Canadian person, like the foreign Canadian. Uh-oh. <laughs> Man. But I remember Bret Hart's promos in that during that time. I remember him talking about like healthcare, like slamming the U.S. for not having good health care. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you right. tell him, Bret. I was a huge, huge fan of Bret Hart. Oh, yeah? He was my guy. 
You chose you would betray your country to support Bret well, Hart, I, Eric. Not at the you know I I was a fan of him before all that <laughs> when when he actually and we'll get into it. I I do kind of want to set the scene and just like you know tell everyone what happened in the match, which is. As you were saying. Oh, should I continue? Okay, so. Well, we'll just, yeah. Let's just, okay, let's, let's finish. Results. So, the Montreal yeah. screwed. So, we're in Montreal, Canada. Survivor Series 1997. Main event. Brett versus Sean. Brett's leaving the company. He's the current champion. Will not drop the belt to Sean. To our wrestling. Blah, blah, blah. Sean Michaels gets Brett Hart in the sharpshooter, which right. is his finishing move. Mm-hmm. Brett doesn't tap, but Vince McMahon calls for the bell. Ding, ding, ding. And declares the match over. And Sean's the champion. So in the middle of the ring on live television without Brett's knowledge, so they say, right. you never know. You can never be tell if it's a shoot. Mm-hmm. He screws Brett out of the championship. Sean grabs the title and he Runs goes away. to the back. Like there's no triumphant celebration. Like every single like wrestling show ends with like a big moment that you're supposed to be like, ooh. Especially if you win the championship. Yeah. It's supposed to go off with, yay, And this I is won. such a wet fart. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? So then Brett, because Vince McMahon is now doing commentary ringside as well. So he hocks a big loogie, spits it in Vince's face, yeah. then looks in the camera and does W, C, right. W with his fingers to and indicate where he's going. He writes, mm-hmm. he even like does it like where he's writing it backwards because he knows the TV camera is picking it up. So mm-hmm. like when he does the C, he does it like for the the way that the audience and the camera is going to see it. <laughs> I mean, that moment, the thing with that moment that really changed everything was a, it sort of got WWE now into the edgy thing that the WCW was doing. Yep. They were sort of doing it with like, like Bret Hart and Steve Austin had a really intense match at WrestleMania. Right. Where, um, so they were sort of getting there. Yeah, They're getting edgier storylines. They had degeneration X's coming around. Degeneration X. Yeah. He was a part of that. Triple H was out there. Yeah. Um, China's in here too, by the way. Yeah. She, she makes an appearance, right? Oh yeah. She's Is she part in the screw job? Of, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think the three, the four original members of DX were yeah. Michaels, Triple H, China and Rick Rude. Right. But those are the guys. Yeah. Like in the beginning when they're coming the out of the dressing yeah. room. In the yeah. Beginning, yeah. But, um, it also helped really build Mr. McMahon as the character that would come to really win the ratings war, really defeat mm-hmm. WCW was knowing that that was the real guy who was making the decisions and just how well he played right. the character and how well you just wanted to see him get spit in the face, mm-hmm. take a stunner, yeah. <laughs> get cut open. It's quite a gambit. Makes you think. It's like, did they plan this all along? I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, Because what struck me like watching it back now is like, the ending of the match, like it looks so unprofessional. Like yeah. it looks like no one knows what they're doing and what the hell is going on. And it's like, how do you come back from that? You've basically like just said a big fuck you to the audience. Just being like, yeah, we don't care. This, none of this is real. And like, this is all bullshit. They took that and they turned it into gold. Like they, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. like, guess what? Yeah. Like you were saying, Cody, Vince McMahon becomes the evil boss character. Mm-hmm. I think I even sent you guys a link, a promo basically that, Vince McMahon is cutting a month after this Montreal screw job. So a yeah. month after this pay-per-view, he's like basically saying, you know, we, we know the audience is changing and, and we need to acknowledge, you know, that we need to be able to tell different kinds of stories and use the whole spectrum, like the whole toolkit. And he's like, we think you're frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge, huge milestone for the WWF to be basically admitting like, we're not even going to pretend yeah. that like any of this is above board. And we're going to make a guess. And he name drops like all these influences like soap operas, yep. reality TV, like talk shows like Springer, yep. you know, which is all about the drama and like edgy sitcoms like King of the Hill. 
<laughs> Fox is King of the Hill, right. as he says. <laughs> That's right. Was um, King of the Hill ever an edgy sitcom? I don't know Jesus. why he said that. Yeah, I just mean I mean like Shakut's at South Park. It's 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 <laughs> yeah. stuff your parents probably don't approve of, right? It's the message. Mm, yeah. yeah, man drama. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is all like yeah the big the big pilot, the the last straw basically because mm-hmm. I think they were like definitely trending towards that even in late 96 that was when they had the Steve Austin storms Brian Pillman's house and they were have they were in a feud at the time mm. and like they actually had a live feed from this man's house his actual house and like Steve Austin's pretending to break in while Brian Pillman defending his home like pulls out a gun and then like the feed cuts out you know <laughs> it's just like and then we go back to you know something for the kids mm-hmm. here's a here's a wrestling garbage man you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> like oh they were really like trying to find their footing with that for so long and the montreal screw job gave them an excuse to be like i'm done with it and mm-hmm. as a kid i was very deeply affected by that um, really yeah i and in a negative way actually like i i was like well part of it was i was such a huge bret hart fan he was my main guy because he had won the title a couple times like when i was in my height of my fandom in the mid 90s so in 1997 when they start to turn him heel i'm already feeling like i don't i don't know if i like this Mm -hmm. like but like said cody he's a tweener i can still kind of root for him like he still kind of has a point and of course Shawn michaels is not positioned as like the the nicest guy either he's Mm -hmm. being a huge dick the whole time so Mm -hmm. i'm still on solid moral ground but like that was the problem like i was so much like no, like Bret Hart is right because he does things the right way and he has values and da 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 da. Which so many years later I realized that's the whole point is that like both of these guys are assholes, but at least it, the characters are assholes. But at least Sean in character like is aware of it. Like he's not. He says in that like pre-match hype video for the for Survivor Series, he's like just because I live my life openly and freely, like you're a hypocrite, and he has a point that like Bret kind of behind the camera and in front of the camera like feels he's playing he's entitled and he just because he feels like he's doing it the right way that he's a better man like for whatever reason well there was a casual reference made on air too that um apparently both of them were fooling around with a wrestler named Sonny at the time but Shawn Michaels was doing it in a playboy sort of way while Bret Hart was the supposed family man with his wife Mm. so I forgot the exact line. I think Shawn Michaels said a comment about sunny days. I know you've had some sunny days recently. I know you've had some (laughs) sunny days recently. And that infuriated Brett because he didn't see it coming. He just went on national television and basically Uh, made reference to the woman he was cheating on his wife with, which (laughs) how do you get more personal than that? Like seriously. Yeah. So he has this like holier than thou streak, which is just like embedded in his character and just Mm. kind of embedded in his personality, if I'm being honest. And that definitely appealed to me at the time. Like, Brett is right. Brett is always right. And, you know, part of me also just was sad that they did him dirty because I think he was the most talented wrestler of that generation mm. and maybe even the best actor, like, as far as selling the pain, mm. selling the emotions. Like, he's he was so good at making it seem real mm. in an era where, like, that was a lot more important mm. than than, like other shenanigans than having like a giant personality. So it kind of cooled my passion a little bit to like know that. And I think this was already happening before survivor series. Cause I don't mm-hmm. remember like sitting there and watching it and being like, what am I going to do? But like that summer, just listening to Bret Hart go off on American healthcare and being like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I kind of 
fell off a little bit Man. from that point. Man, just because of Brett. Well, did you watch WCW then? Because that's where he I kind of did. I, yeah. Part of me was like, well, I'm kind of curious if he goes to WCW, but it was hard to get into that because like, you know, it's like I've been reading Marvel all my life. I can't just like jump into DC. <laughs> but one thing that did help, which I have as a visual aid here, is the video games, WCW and W.O. Revenge Oof. on the Nintendo 64. With somebody else's rosters, apparently. Well, Eric this, was telling the, me. this copy, yeah. I got this copy at a retro game store a couple years back. And when I fired it up, like someone had changed all the costume colors and all the names of the wrestlers. Mm. So it's like some of them to where I can't even recognize. I like, have to go online and figure out. It's uh, not Hogan. It's my friend Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell or, is Josh? It's more like, it's like you know, five, five letter Fs and a one and an at symbol. Like someone just like went what? through and went crazy. What? Yeah. Oh, that's so disappointing. I know, right? Man. <laughs> Can you reset it or like... Probably. Or I, can, I mean, th- these are among the cheapest games in the Nintendo 64 library these mm-hmm. days. I could surely get another one for like five bucks. Yeah. But anyway, I, I rented that game a bunch of times and my parents were like, why don't you just, like, if you like it that much, like, we'll just get it. Let's ask for it for Christmas. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so... That's how I. That was my way into WCW. Was playing the games, and I. Score. I would still, and thus this started my kind of tradition of checking in on stuff every so often. But still, vividly remember 1997 and the, the Montreal Screwjob. Yep. Speaking of wrestlers leaving the WWE with belts, do you know the Jeff Jarrett story? Yeah. Okay, this is a good one. <laughs> so Jeff Jarrett is another one. He has the Intercontinental Championship. He's leaving for WCW. He has a pay per view with uh, China where she's wrestling the men and uh, his whole gimmick is just a straight up misogynist where he's like, China shouldn't be in the ring with me. I'm a man. She's a woman, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So the final be all for their feud is going to be a good housekeeping match, which is a hardcore match with traditional things you find around the house. Jeff Jarrett shows up the night of the pay-per-view and says, Vince, you owe me money. I think it was something like, it's like back pay, back yeah. pay or this or that. And he's like, if I'm going to the other company, I'm not going to hear from you. So I'm not dropping the belt tonight until you get the finances in order and pay me what I pay me. And Vince is furious, but gets the money. So he goes out there. He has this match where he's just full of crazy stuff. And I remember the big thing was a bag of flour. So they basically tarred <laughs> and feathered him. Yeah. And he walks backstage. Nobody is talking to him because he's sort of persona non grata. Word's gotten around. He sort of held the company over. Mm. Just goes backstage, covered in flour, grabs his bag, and just walks out of the arena. (laughs) Doesn't even shower. Doesn't even change. Just goes, see you later. (laughs) Dunking on Jeff Jarrett is my favorite motif of this era of wrestling. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He just got shit on in a lot of different ways. He broke a thousand guitars and didn't ever do a dime, they said. (laughs) He was kind of this country western gimmick. But yeah. then the day that um, McMahon buys WCW, right, he goes on Nitro to give his little spiel. He's saying, because he bought all the wrestlers as well. When you buy the company, all the wrestlers the come contracts, over. contracts, yeah. And he goes, except for you, Jeff Jarrett, you'll <laughs> never come in this ring again. And of everyone, Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, all these other people that have left the company, he singled out Jeff yeah. Jarrett on TV just to give. <laughs> Just, it's, it's just, crazy. It's so petty, but that's what yeah, you love about Vince. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so, I mean, I, yeah. Talking about, back to like Brett and Sean. Right. I did like Sean Michaels. Like during this time, uh, I definitely saw and respected the talent. And like, like I was saying earlier, like watching the tapes, like you could tell that he was something special. 
Like I, I, I rented the WrestleMania 10 video a bunch of times as mm-hmm. a kid just to watch this ladder match with Razor Ramon. Oh, that's a good one. It's like the first ladder match in the WWF. Um, so, you know, I didn't know at the time, though, like all this other backstage animosity, like all this stuff that was just so real, this bad blood mm-hmm. between them. Um, and who else did I like at that time? Oh, I liked I liked Owen Hart, too. Just mm-hmm. He was interesting. Yeah. And Hunter Hearst Helmsley just both of them really were just fun guys to root against. They were just really good at playing heels. And I love that triple H's canonical name is still Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. His first like character was basically this like patrician guy who wore riding pants and came in like a fancy smoking jacket to the ring and did like a little bow. He would always Mm -hmm. have his nose up. Just a snob. Yeah. Like a blue blood (laughs) snob. And then he became this, you know, he became part of Degeneration X, and his character just really, really went far afield from there. He's like, his whole thing was suck yeah, it, yeah, right? that was crotch their chopping, move. suck it. <laughs> I'm and I'm Triple H. Don't call me Hunter Hearst Helmsley anymore. Hmm. Well, yeah, he had a career because he was part of the Click with the other five guys, and um, there's a famous incident at Madison Square Garden when it was supposed to be uh, Kevin Nash's Diesel and Shawn Michaels in a steel cage versus. Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Razor Ramon. Uh, Sean and Diesel were the good guys. Hunter and Razor were the bad guys. So they wrestle a cage match. This isn't even, this isn't even air. This is a house show, which means there's just no fans, no yeah. cameras. It's like the events I would go to as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. A bit cheaper, but it's more fun that way because the wrestlers can sort of open up. It's not mm-hmm. really about the storylines. It's more about just having fun, entertaining the crowd. So they all finish their last match, and the four men hug in the middle of the ring. <laughs> and Vince is furious that the faces and the heels are commingling, but Nash and Hall are going WCW, can't right. fire them. Shawn Michaels, one of his biggest stars, can't really fuck with him. Is the champion. Triple H <laughs> is the young kid who just gets screwed over. Yeah. And wrestles it was that I think it was after the uh, Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania match, yeah. the well, famous one. Yeah. Where um he gives the pedigree to Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior just stands right up and goes, oh, no. And it's just, it's Destroys it, him. the most embarrassing thing to hit your finish to another wrestler. Mm. Have the wrestler just stand up and go, that didn't, that didn't affect me, bro. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, just the immediate concept. But, like, it kind of shows what a type of boss Vince McMahon is. Because, like, by the end of that year, Triple H has the Intercontinental title. Like, he's back in a regular spot. Just, like, Vince just has new things to rage about. Well, the thing is, it's always about the talent. Where you can yeah. really sort of see who has the talent, even if they're not being pushed, you can sort of hmm. like, we're going to touch back on a WCW, but guys like Chris Jericho, yeah. he, who should do we mention <laughs> him, <laughs> Chris Benoit. This isn't, this isn't the mm. WWE network <laughs> where they no, disavowed him. You can definitely see a guy who's sort of in the mid card. And it's like, that guy's got, that guy's got moxie. I can see that guy going places. And he was always one of those guys where, you know, he had the look, he had a, but he just, he would eventually just grow the ego to the size of craziness in the mm-hmm. coming years. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got to still get a D-Generation X. But yeah, he was Shawn Michaels' running buddy that whole time. Mm-hmm. And so after the other two left for WCW, Shawn was like, all right, buddy. Because that's the great thing about professional wrestling is you always look out for your friends. Right guy to make friends with, yeah. You make <laughs> friends and you put your friends over and then your enemies, you say, I'm not dropping the belt to them. This is also the era where mankind is oh boy. rising to prominence in the yes. WWF. And I appreciate, Cody, that you showed up today with the Mick Foley tribute beard. <laughs> yes, yes. Or the Daniel Bryan beard. That's the one you that, want to oh, call it. That's even better. 
had a Daniel Bryan Respect the Beard shirt, but I wanted to wear my Roman Reigns shirt here today. Represent. But yeah, no, beards are always a wonderful <laughs> part. So is long hair, Cam. Yeah, you I'm look... working. You know, there's plenty of long-haired wrestlers. It's a tradition. I'll say, I'll say The Undertaker was my inspiration because <laughs> he was my favorite as a kid. Mm. I see. This is a little bit of a deep cut, but I see some Chris Canyon in you. I can see a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I can see even Kevin Nash. Yeah. If he big, bulked the, up. If big he, sexy. Did yeah. some steroids. 100%. You know, had to build up those muscles a bit. But, you know, he could pull it off. I truly am the outsider. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, Mankind. Touching on. Well, he, I, I just remember him vividly because he terrified me when he debuted because mm. he was giving his, his finishing move was the mandible claw. And like we just like stick his fingers down a guy's throat, yeah. and somehow that's a legal submission move. And I remember the first several times he did it, like they're like he's beating up on these you know no names, the jobbers, and they would just start frothing at the mouth. Like they they're obviously told like when he beats you, hawk up some loogies and like spit everything out, and like you're really having convulsing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are they letting this guy wrestle? This is <laughs> disgusting. He's, he's hurting them. <laughs> Look, he wasn't actually sticking the fingers down the throat. He was like, if you put your oh, fingers like, in your mouth and push down. and like, like just a pressure, pressure point? point? Yeah, like underneath your tongue mm-hmm. and then underneath your chin and just squeeze that really hard. Because oh, okay. the whole explanation was why they just bite down in his fingers. Yeah. I put your fingers in your mouth and I'm trying to, you just, ah, and that hurts. But yeah. apparently when you apply the pressure point, this is all. This is not science. This is wrestling, this is wrestling logic. This is yeah. wrestling science we're talking about here. Do not try this at home. But yeah, when yeah. you press down on that pressure point, you can't bite and you just uh, immediately helpless. Yeah. helpless. And then he added Mr. Sacco eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that added a whole new level to that move, right? Yes. Because it, then it became a disgusting, like, dirty sock that's also going in your mouth. That he, that he like, was stashing in his tights. Right. Yeah. And that he sort of sort of was a friend, you know? Right. That was his yeah, buddy, Mr. Sacco. It's a long history of wrestlers loving inanimate objects. Actually, Alexa Bliss right now is doing a gimmick where she turned evil. Oh. And now she has a doll named Lily oh, no. that tells her to do evil things to people. And if you mess with Lily, bad things happen. You go backstage and lights start falling down mm. and... Everything starts flickering, you know, yeah. you almost have an accident. You're getting supernatural. Very supernatural oh, up in here. My gold standard for that kind of thing was Al Snow with the mannequin head. Uh, <laughs> that he called head. And like his his entrance theme started, what does everybody want? Head. You know, it's a funny story about that. I did not know what head was referring to I when that either. gimmick was happening. Yeah, I, was... I actually knew about blowjobs. I had sort of thing, but connecting that to the word head... I'm just like, what are they talking about? I did not know. About? Yeah, it was huh? a double entendre. Just like, and once again, my friend Alex was so into this. He would like bring that mannequin head. Like he found like a styrofoam version of that <laughs> mannequin what? head type of thing and like carried it around with him. He oh, always, man. man, he wore his heart asleep. This is probably one of the reasons, like, well, he wasn't one of the reasons I got into it, but also one of the reasons why I never like abandoned it. Because I'm like, man, he's just having a lot of fun. <laughs> man. He's an indie wrestler now? Is he still? Uh, I know that he was. I, I have not talked to him in, in several years. Ah. Uh, just cause... What was his ring name? Can you give that out? No, I have no idea. I know oh. he, he did. I mean, I, I, I've, I've talked to him like within the past decade, but mm-hmm. it's not like we kept in close touch. He, he still lives uh, back on the East Coast. Oh, nice. And I don't go visit very often. But he was part of the technical crew for the Darren Aronofsky movie, The Wrestler. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's actually in the movie. He might be in like the background or like in, you know, mm-hmm. out of focus. So if like Mickey Rourke's walking through a gym and like there are guys wrestling, mm-hmm. he might be one of those people. I know he's in the credits um, and, you know, he worked as one of the rest because they shot that in Eastern Pennsylvania and New York area. Mm-hmm. 
that's an honor to be involved in literally the yeah, only right. good movie about professional wrestling right. in the history of movies. Yeah. Every single other one so has been back terrible. Oh like, wait, it was released in 08. So like I know he was in doing it back then. He has mm. he has his kids now, I think. And so I'm I'm not that you can't wrestle without like well you have a family, but um I'm not sure if he's still doing it. Mm. But anyway, he had the head. <laughs> Al Snow had the head. Al Snow talked to the head because he was unhinged and crazy. <laughs> Uh, a pretty again a pretty good storyline i wasn't old enough to appreciate was that he went crazy because he was one of the so-called jobbers like the the talents that like are used for you know to pump up the other guys like your main event guys like so they can get wins against people and show off their moves mm-hmm. and he just like snapped and be like what am i doing with my life <laughs> And that's what got him popular. Like then people started wanting to see him win. Well, he was an ECW. Ever seen the ECW entrance? Oh with, yeah, uh, where they, they chuck all the heads. What's, what's, in the ring. What, what's the song? Breathe by Prodigy. Oh yeah, yeah. Dirda, 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 <laughs> breathe with me, and he's just yeah. mocking the head over yeah. his thing and just shaking it back and forth like a crazy person. Man, he was good. Yep. But he was always sort of like in the lower card. That's the thing is that he was a jobber, right? And he sort of just went up to the lower card. Yeah, hardcore it, was, it was still like played for laughs, like most of his stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's still an, to me, that's still an essential part of wrestling. Like mm-hmm. I understand when people are like, well, I want the top spot and I'm just a comedy act. I'm like, comedy acts are kind of like the bread and butter of mm-hmm. wrestling. Like that's half the show. Like it's the slapstick. It's, mm-hmm. and it's the variety. It's the buffet of options on the table when you go see wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be funny. Well, I think people want that more and more now too, yeah. is they want a wrestler with a little bit of comedy. I mean, do you, are you familiar with Orange Cassidy at all? Yeah. I looked him up because I am, I have an interest in comedy oh my wrestling. God. <laughs> Let me explain to you Orange Cassidy, Cam. Um, he looks like a discount Ryan Gosling. Uh-huh. <laughs> But still, pretty handsome guy, you know. Yeah. He wears the Ray-Ban aviator sunglasses, a denim jacket, white shirt, and his whole gimmick is he's just he's too above wrestling. <laughs> so he'll just stand there with his hands in his pockets. Right. And if he's going to hit you, he'll go. he like, barely, <laughs> barely tap you. He'll <laughs> barely tap you. So, of course, the other guy in the match will be like, what, what are you doing? I'm going to have to beat this guy up. He's not doing anything. <laughs> but he'll avoid their offense and then suddenly start doing, like, all this crazy flippy shit. Yeah. Like, literally, he'll have his hands in his pockets. Like, he doesn't kill, but he'll go up on the turnbuckle and then, like, jump into a crossbody <laughs> while keeping his hands in his pockets and his sunglasses on. Yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Awesome. But like a role for that, like comedy wrestler, yeah. where it really is just a gimmick that he doesn't want to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes money. People want to see that, you yeah, know? And funny. even yeah. Mankind, too, I think, oh, in a no. lot of ways, was a comedy wrestler, especially when he was a face. The Mr. Sacco years. Mm. And Dude Love. Dude Love. <laughs> Cactus Jack was a crazy man, though. Yeah, that was always intense. Are you familiar with all of the Mick Foley and his many... uh, Just Mankind. Yeah. I feel like I, I didn't really know the lineage. Uh, until I read about it more recently, but well, yeah, he was originally when he backyard wrestled as a teenager in Long Island, New York. My actually fun fact: my dad's high school gym coach was Mick Foley's father. Jack Foley taught my dad oh, high school cool. gym. Isn't that sweet? Nice. But um, yeah, so he wrestled as Dude Love, who was a hippie, mm-hmm. peace loving dude. And he starts his wrestling career and becomes Cactus Jack in WCW, which. Mm-hmm. Western Outlaw. Western Outlaw. Unhinged. From Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. And uh, then he goes from WCW, WWE, and they give him the Mankind character, which at first is very scary with the mandible claw. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
he does interviews with Jim Ross where they like are humanizing his character and they reveal it. Like it's again, part of this like gradual pulling back of the curtain where they're like, no, this guy's he's Mick. You're like, your name is Mick Foley mankind. And you, I have these home movies of you wrestling. And, and he's like, mankind's like breaking down until he eventually admits like, yeah, like this is just mankind is just part of me. He's part of Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. He's like the dark side or, or at least this, the kind of sad side. Well, Cactus well, the Jack thing is, is the like three the faces of Foley. Cactus yeah. Jack was the really bad side. It's the that bloodthirsty, was, yeah, violent. Mm-hmm. The hardcore thumbtacks. Okay. If Cactus Jack comes out, it's a problem. Yeah. And then Mankind, so once he starts doing that, he's wearing this like uh, brown sort of like one piece. Like, <laughs> what would you, how would you even describe it? Like a so, burlap sack almost. Yeah, it's a jumper with like a weird, you know, it's not really an ankh, but it's like a sort of adjacent sim- symbol yeah. to that. You're just like not sure what to, th- and he had like that weird like st- leather strap mask. Mm-hmm. You're just not sure what to think about this guy. Mm-hmm. He's just so grotesque and strange. And then, well, and then at a certain point he adopts the like working man shirt. It's like the, yeah. the white collar. Well, he becomes untucked. Vince McMahon stooge and Vince McMahon yeah. decides yeah. to make him over into a corporate champion. But <laughs> yeah. since he's still this lazy dude, he just has the button down shirt, yeah. unkempt look, but he's still, you know, he's trying, yep. you know, and that's sort of the, the he's the everyman. He was like the everyman yeah. of the true everyman of WWE. Mankind. Yep. <laughs> you know, the true of all mankind. That's true. But uh, are nice. we are we segueing into the the um, match? Well, I don't know. Cam, Cam? anymore? I thoughts? feel like I, I did have a couple more thoughts about Montreal Screwjob. Again, yeah. just oh, kind okay. of analyzing it on its face. Um, I'm noticing more fighting bleeding out into the crowd. Yep. Pushing of cameramen. I feel like it's literally like wrestling getting a little more unhinged and like spilling over into reality, mm-hmm. quote unquote, to the point where eventually it will be that line will be blurred. <laughs> with the next round we're going to talk about and just, yeah, staying outside the ring when they're not supposed to choking. I don't know if that's allowed, but they were definitely like, they definitely seem to be like breaking more rules and just being outside the ring. Yep. And that match, especially is just like, it's just a fight. It doesn't even start till like halfway through it. Like they yeah. ring the bell and they're actually like wrestling. There's very little wrestling in that match. It was kind of weird to go back and realize that. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is too, that they didn't like each other. And if you don't mm-hmm. like each other, you really can't, you don't want to plan out a good match. Right, if you yeah. like each other, if you have a friend, you can sit backstage and go right. a couple hours. Okay, then I'll do this. Then you'll do that. Then I'll do that to get you back yeah. and really have a thing. But if you're not going to talk, you're not going to communicate. Just get in the ring and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it really does feel, feel like the way that Springer is filmed. Like when, you know, if, if they like get up and start fighting or go backstage and there's like drama, mm-hmm. you know, it just it just feels like the camera is like, handheld and like yeah in the in the action like just watching like a real fight <laughs> happening <laughs> so formally i just i see that the pushing the boundaries of yeah this is this is structure this is real shit yeah. this is like we're yeah. we're watching a fight mm-hmm. i mean now that you mentioned there was it wasn't a lot of out of the ring brawling back in the day you know no. i mean it would be a big deal and especially mm-hmm. like if you know non-combatants got into the fray mm-hmm. breaking of like the announce tables or whatever mm-hmm. like it was humongous it was like unheard of yeah whereas i feel like this one was like mostly out of the ring <laughs> like yeah they had to like force them into the ring corral, <laughs> corral yeah and that's the what... 10 count otherwise you're both disqualified yeah count out victory yeah, yeah. well that's why very crucially the match like that there's like again like half of it takes place before the match officially begins with the bell it's mm-hmm. like you know in any sane world you just like say you guys aren't fighting like it's throw this out. you can't even start the match but like <laughs> They do, and it's it's a moment in history. Mm. 
It's things are changing. Yeah. All right. Moving on to 1998. 98. And this was at the WWF King of the Ring. We watched the infamous Hell in a Cell match between Mankind and The Undertaker. Hell yes. Ooh, boy. So I, I watched this when it was on TV back in the day. Ooh. This was like my moment with wrestling. Live was pay-per-view? Around, around this time. Was it pay-per-view? Because yes, I watched it. I don't know if my brother somehow... Maybe it was like a free freebie that maybe at that time or something. Might have got a tape or something too. Someone taped it. Maybe. Or you know, it was also common to show highlights, maybe, you know, on their mm. T V shows too. I just feel like I was watching it though. Yeah. Like, I you got that pay per view. Yeah. I I feel like we did I never really remembered paying for anything back then. Like pay per view. But anyways. Uh yeah, this was <laughs> one of the most like shocking jaw-dropping things i've ever seen and remains <laughs> that still yes to this day it's crazy <laughs> there's it's still a incredible. standard it's set as being one of the sickest bumps of all time yeah. Yeah. if you haven't seen this bump seriously pause the podcast <laughs> go on youtube yeah. undertaker mankind hell in a cell and just it's awe yeah it's jaw-dropping so, to watch for the first time so like this the cell is the structure so like you know steel cage match is common wrestling thing in the 90s wwf comes up with this concept like hell in a cell which is like the cage match on steroids it's basically a whole like chicken wire cage with with a roof because a traditional Mm -hmm. cage you know you can climb out of that's just like lowered over the ring the entire ring so Mm -hmm. like part of the outside of the ring is like enclosed in this cage as well and it's like at this point they're only breaking it out for like the biggest matches the most intense feuds Mm -hmm. uh and mankind and undertaker are feuding they're beefing big time because well, what was the there was like a storyline where oh, yeah. Undertaker like <laughs> attacked Mankind's uncle who yeah. was like a helpless old man. Yes, <laughs> who so he wants to, revenge now. Who used to be the Undertaker's manager, the oh, Paul Bearer. Bearer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I want I want Cody to to yes, describe the beats of this yes, of this it, match. Can you just okay? Can you, so uh, the difference between it? a steel cage and a Hell in a Cell is a steel cage essentially traps you in the ring, where you can't go outside right. the ring. You're in the far bars, while the Hell in a Cell sort of gives you a little area outside the ring. It's basically, I mean, if you think of it from a me playing with action figures perspective, the laundry basket turned, (laughs) right side was the steel cage, (laughs) turned upside down was the Hell in a Cell. And you'd have to put your hands underneath to play with the little guys. (laughs) But... um, they had done a previous match, at least one, with um, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Michaels, Hell in a Cell, but it mostly stayed in the cell. Mm-hmm. So what happened here was, I think Mankind's music hit first. You're supposed to go inside the cell, of course. That's what normal people would do. <laughs> but he decided to climb up on top of the cell. And then Undertaker comes out, and Mankind's top of the cell, like, I'm up here, buddy. So Undertaker's <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm going up there as well. And the visuals of this are really impressive in terms of the camera angles. Like, mm-hmm. it's probably 20 feet, 15 feet off the ground, but it looks like it's freaking forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like they he, go like he's up, touching the Jumbotron or something. Yeah. He's touching the ceiling. Yeah. So they're brawling, they're brawling, and, you know, they're coming close to the edge, but they're not going over, and everyone's all... Oh, man, what's going to happen? And then Undertaker just grabs Mankind and just chucks him right off the cell. Mankind does a flip and lands on the announce table, but the hardest you've ever seen anyone land on an announce table. Yeah. This thing just shatters before him. And, and he, he lays there for minutes, like for a while. <laughs> they had, they stretchered him out. Like, yeah. briefly, he came back to the match, but, you know. 
But let's talk about how long it took yeah, it's, to get it's, to that point. Yeah. Like he's on the ground, he's like not moving, and it's it seems pretty real. It and seems is real. real. And JR is freaking out on commentary. I believe he dislocated his shoulder in that moment. Actually, no, it was or the no. second bump in that match. Okay, okay. That that one he actually I remember because I remember reading it in his book. That one actually mm-hmm. went fine. He okay. thought it was going to be scary, but he's laying there and he's like, "Oh, this isn't." Was that, that scripted? Bad. Was he supposed to fall off? The oh top? yeah, okay. yeah. They, they wouldn't. <laughs> they, wouldn't they wouldn't do that unscripted. Okay. That's uh, that's New Jack territory right there. <laughs> uh, but it looks so real. Yeah, like, yeah. It's the most shocking thing ever. New Jack is a recently deceased uh, hardcore wrestler, but he's famous for a uh, scaffold match with this mm. guy Vic Grimes, where. Unplanned, he pulls out a taser and Jesus. shocks Vic Grimes, and Vic Grimes is it, and he throws him off. This is a really sick one because it's probably double, not double, as bad as the cell, but with nothing safe to land on. Mm. And yeah. he hits like he hits a couple of tables and actually lives and is fine. Yeah. But uh, wow. yeah, that's an example of of not being you most can, of the yeah, time. You can tell the ones that are not planned. <laughs> like yeah. that that one is terrifying. You need a taser to incapacitate your opponent before throwing them off oh, a scaffold. No. But, <laughs> yeah. So that's the yeah the first one. He's like selling it on the ground. He's like not moving and mm-hmm. like all these personnel are coming. Like not just like the referees. Like when they kind of want to sell that someone might have an injury, but right. they're okay. It's like. Backstage producers are coming out. Yeah, Vince uh, McMahon does he come out at this point, or does he come out? Later? I think it's a little later. I don't think I don't think he was out in that match because he was a character at that point. Oh, I think. okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I thought he did come out, and he was kind of he broke character. That's I feel did like he? I was reading, and I remember him kind of like yeah. checking in with him. He okay. might have, but um. So yeah, so they stretcher him out, but Undertaker's still on the cell. Like I'm the dead man. I'm just gonna stay up here and be the victor. And as they're wheeling him out, mankind goes. No, right. I need to get back into this match after taking that sick bump. Yeah. So again, then, against the doctors, who, I don't know if they're scripted to be holding him back, but <laughs> they're always scripted to be holding him right, back. It's right, never, yeah. it's never real. So yeah, he fights back the uh, paramedics holding him back, climbs the cell again, and this is the one where he injured himself. Okay. Is the second one he gets choke slammed through the cell onto the ring below. Yeah, the panel just gives. The panel he... just gives. And that messed him up because apparently he couldn't plan his fall. Right. Like wrestlers, you always want to have fall on your back because it's the most mm-hmm. – a nice flat back bump for pretty much any high stunt because if you land anywhere else, you could really mess up your head, your arms, your yeah. legs. Yeah. So he screws up. And then Undertaker then goes to drop down from the hanging cell. I think he messes up his ankle. Yeah, yeah, because he's like – yeah, this whole time the Undertaker's just standing on top of this structure. Yeah, yeah. But there's also, and like McFoley, Mankind almost landed on a chair that happened to be in the ring because when he climbed the cage at the beginning of the match, or climbed the cell, excuse me, uh, he chucked a chair up there first and that Mm -hmm. happened to fall down. He almost like hit his head on that chair as Mm -hmm. he falls through, which would have been lights out for sure. But he narrowly misses that and yeah, messes up his shoulder. Doesn't he pass out at some point during this? For like Um, a a second? He might. That might have been a work. Yeah. Work is a, a fake. Okay. Work, work is. I when mean, something's fake. Yeah. Shoot is when something. I do real. feel like mm. he said that, like in his in his one or two of his autobiographies, which I recommend. By the way, they're really well written, fantastically, and just fascinating. He has such a fascinating perspective, obviously, with this crazy job that he does. Mm-hmm. And he talks also about how, like, on that second fall, is like when he cut his like he had a hole through his lip, and like mm-hmm. he turns towards the camera and he, he like tries to show 
that he has a hole by like sticking his tongue through it, but it just looks like he's smiling, like <laughs> right, like deliriously. I think camera. there's like a tooth hanging out, and there's a tooth hanging mm. out of his nostril. Oh, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> it's just yeah, it is like the most intense, cruel, and hardcore thing you, yeah. you have ever seen someone put themselves through. Yeah, and that's his thing. Like mankind is a sucker for pain. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah, it's the most masochistic it. thing. Yeah. Well, see, but that's the thing is that started the whole movement where suddenly it set this standard of holy crap, Mick Foley is the most extreme, the craziest guy in professional wrestling, yeah. which meant a lot of other people go, screw that. I'm mm-hmm. the most extreme. Mm-hmm. And that's a practice that's continued to this day. Yeah, yeah. I was look. I, I happened to see like a, a newspaper article from fresh after this match. And mm-hmm. it was like, is this going to inspire a bunch of like dangerous copycats? Oh, yeah. 100% backyard wrestling, baby. Mm. Well, backyard wrestling, yeah, that's what well, The big one is actually Vince McMahon's son, Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. Just that kid has some sort of chip on his shoulder that he's Vince McMahon's oldest son and the heir apparent where he just needs to prove himself. It's like Tom Cruise doing his own stunts in Mission mm-hmm. Impossible where it's just something to tight, prove. Tight analogy, I love it. Right? <laughs> he's just going to go crazy with much, much higher than mankind stuff, but a lot mm-hmm. of it was into padding and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just some of the stunts he's done. They're still crazy. <laughs> like, they're still mm-hmm. absolutely insane. He did, he did one where he fell off like a set, like a, uh, a big Jumbotron set, which is like twice as high mm-hmm. as the cell is. He fell into like a mattress right. pad. Which is though, well, obvious. Which... <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to fall on the floor, but I still, I mean, that's still got to be terrifying. And it's, it's, yeah, it's like a lot of principles are the same as like, with stunt performers in mm-hmm. movies and TV. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're doing like these high risk things. There's a certain way you got to do them. And that's the reason why these wrestlers train for so long. To I actually remember to reading on the internet that, um, an AEW wrestler, Sammy Guevara wanted to got a stunt next by the boss, uh, Tony Khan, where he wanted to jump out of a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, where is the line? Like, like it's just going to keep we're just going to keep pushing that envelope further and further. Well, it's just there's some guys and Darby Allen's another name in AEW who does just crazy ridiculous stunts mm. where it's just you have this gimmick of of that you live this life of mm. I want to be known as that guy who the rest yeah. of the wrestling world is talking about. The thing, yeah. At least the thing about mankind is that he also had the goods in other areas. I mean, like he was also like a a very convincing brawler. Mm-hmm. And he could. He was really good at like developing his character through promos, through his speeches, mm. and just like weird psychological things he would do. And he was pretty funny to boot, like very quick witted. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a very effective heel when he was scary and when he was Cactus Jack. Yeah. But when he turned face, it kind of became a thing where you could never really hate Mick Foley just right. because he opened himself up and he was mm-hmm. such a goofy, fun-loving dude mm-hmm. that. He's like Santa Claus. He's hardcore Santa Claus, basically. Just yeah. a jolly dude with a big beard. <laughs> really got people got behind in a way that he could really never go back to that, you know, weird dude in the boiler room hmm. <laughs> fighting The Undertaker, <laughs> you know, attacking Paul Bearer or yeah. whatever. Yeah, like going back to Cactus Jack is like the closest he could ever get to that. Hmm. And he became, yeah, he became basically a mascot then. Yeah. I don't think I got him when I was a kid. I was like, what is this weirdo doing? Yeah. Like, he is like the unsung hero of this match, like just taking all of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thumbtacks. To keep going. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the thumbtacks. <laughs> the thumbtacks. So, they, so they wrestle a little bit in the ring. 
And then the thumbtacks. Tell us about the thumbtacks. Well, generally speaking, a stipulation handicap match, not handicap matches, and hardcore matches, is they will take a bag and pour out thumbtacks and then do a wrestling move onto the thumbtacks. Right. And then you get the visual image of the wrestler yeah. sitting up and you just see their back <laughs> all thumbtacked up. And it looks like it, it has to hurt like crazy. Yeah. Like, I can't see why. Do you know what the new one they're doing, though, now is? Space on Do you know this? Is it, I don't know, pizza cutter? No, even better. <laughs> Bags of Legos. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> We've even, all been there. Even yeah. worse than thumbtacks. Isn't it so much worse than thumbtacks, though? Like, would you rather step on That's a Lego hilarious. or step on a thumbtack? They'd both hurt. Yeah. But the thumbtack would be like, ah, do you pull it out? A Lego. <laughs> and getting, like, back slammed onto Ooh. those... Because they're not going to break. Those little stupid plastic yeah. bricks, they're the most unbreakable things on the planet. Your body is going to break, not the Lego. The Lego's going to stick. Like, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be any, like just as of, of, like, squeamish as a visual of the thumbtacks in someone's body. It's like Legos just like so oh. Im- embedded so far into someone's skin that they won't come out. But yeah, so um, Mick Foley basically became just the face of hardcore matches where he was going mm. through flaming tables. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and, a, I think that one's like even more hardcore than what he's some of the stuff from the Hell in the Cell match. Yeah, That's I think crazy. I think they, they, they monitor it, though, yeah. with the flaming tables where you're not going to actually catch on fire. It's, you know, there are like people a, standing by. It's a big like baked Alaska or but, something. I mean, when you're, <laughs> you're, st- you're still standing there and like you feel the flames licking up on your back, that's like, that's got to be horrifying. Oh, man. So Mankind is the one that brings out the thumbtacks, but then it backfires because Undertaker is the one that, what's the movie? Does he choke slam him? Choke slams him on him. Into the, yeah. So. Well, give him the tombstone. One, two, three. That's the end of that chapter. That's all there's she st- wrote. And there's still one more match, people. Like, try to come down from that for one more match. That was what was the main event for that? It was that wasn't the main event. Austin oh, versus oh my God. It was a title match. Uh, was believe- it Austin versus somebody? It might have been. Oh, Helms I think it was Austin versus Kane in the Inferno match. Oh, that sounds right. Man. I'm just looking at this now. I mean, I'm a, <laughs> the the whole irony of this is like I'm a lot more familiar with some of this era because of things I have watched in more recent years. Like I go back and dive into wrestling YouTube and watch documentaries like Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier or just like, you know, people do retro reviews and like give, give grades to these pay-per-views years after. And like, I just eat that up. Obviously it's nostalgia content Mm -hmm. and it's like, I was sort of there, but not entirely present when it happened. So Mm -hmm. I'm also learning, which is, also what we're doing tonight with Cody in the house. Right? Mm-hmm. And some of these people go crazy. There's a dude who ranks like really long things, like ranks the best WWE champions from best to worst and the videos two hours. But right. there's one where he ranked every single match from WrestleMania and the videos like Yikes. 11 hours long. <laughs> I can't even watch no. that. <laughs> I even tried. I'm like, I can do it. And that like, because it starts with the bad matches, obviously. So yeah. you're like, oh, come on. I mean, just go to the top 10. If yeah. Like, go to however the much you can 10. handle. Go to the top 100. It's like <laughs> the middle hours. Yeah, the middle hours is like, it was a match. It was a match. The yeah. the main event, by the way, was Kane against um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was not an Inferno match. It was a first blood match. But the stipulation was if Kane lost, he would have to set himself on fire. <laughs> that was the match, I believe, where Kane won the championship. Yes, it was. And then lost the title the next night on uh, Raw. Yeah. His only reign, I think, as a WWE champion. That's crazy. Like, he uh, won world champion later on in his career. But but then it was only like in the first year of his character as Kane. 
Were you were you a Kane guy? Yeah, no, I liked Under Undertaker and Kane. Yeah. I liked the brothers. What was it? Brothers oh, Destruction. Destruction. Yeah. No, I was into I was into like the Edge Lord, like <laughs> gothy. That just was like in my wheelhouse at the time. I was like skater kid getting into like Marilyn Manson and Corn and Rob Zombie. It was just like right in that. Oh, right up your alley. Wheelhouse. Yeah. That was a very short lived phase but <laughs> i feel like yeah I, it's a, a little surprising given how much we now know about each other <laughs> yeah. in our childhoods respective yeah. childhoods i was always scared by the undertaker to be honest because mm. uh, i was a tiny little kid when i started watching <laughs> and he was scary yeah. and like i think the thing i feared the most was like the lights going down in his entrance because like they used to do it where it was like pitch black in the auditorium and mm-hmm. i was afraid of the dark a little seven-year-old and i remember bringing a flashlight to some of those house shows to be like if the undertaker shows up now at a house show though like they didn't do like they didn't kill all the lights in the building like they didn't need to make it look good for tv (laughs) but i mean it got dark and it was like unexpected you never knew when you're gonna hear that gong hit Mm. and yeah it's just so epic and like it is the atmosphere is (laughs) that's kind of like the the atmosphere of pro wrestling at its best it's like it's make on its face, you have a guy who's basically a wrestling zombie mm-hmm. who's been around for 30 years and like, mm-hmm. and has magical powers where he can like shoot lightning from the ceiling. <laughs> He's impervious to pain, but like all of that, all the logic goes out the window. It's like, I, I'm, I'm loving this as a story. I'm loving yeah. this as, as just an emotion that I'm feeling. Yeah. And that's what I get from this Hell, hell in a Cell. Yeah. Like, it's just so theatrical so intense so epic and that line between reality and fiction is so blurred like i have no idea if anyone's really hurt there it definitely seems like it like the performance feels so real and it's to me this is like performance art of the highest caliber like (laughs) and i I think it couldn't be more perfect because it's mankind we already established like the everyman he's like mankind a sucker for pain who just keeps coming back and coming back and surviving and surviving and just sadomasochist just goes back for more. Right. Fighting the Undertaker. Death. Personification of death. Yeah. (laughs) Conquering death. And ultimately losing. Like (laughs) it's, that's like wrestling in a, in a nutshell. It's just like the brutality of like watching people fight each other to the death as, as they did back in the day. Like that's, it couldn't be more perfect to get to get a little pretentious on you. It is the same principle from Greek theater. It is like yeah. the drama and the comedy. It's like it's mm. exactly or tragedy and comedy. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it has to be one of those two things, and it has to be incredibly heightened. Like yeah. the tragedies are like the worst things that could befall everyone. Everyone is just hopping mad or insane, and comedies are just you know far out there as broad as you can be playing to the rafters like it it comes it's from the same impulse and it's like i i would argue it's like a through line from the ancient performing arts it's like (laughs) that's what we have today is we have pro wrestling well what we have too is that pro wrestlers don't get enough respect for just how many things you need to do to be a good pro wrestler because it's not just the crazy bumps it's Mm -hmm. not just the acting it's the in-ring stuff. It's the performing for a live crowd. Yep. It's the improvisational skills. Mm-hmm. It's the remembering your lines and putting yourself into the character and just a million little mm-hmm. things that you have to do. And it could all come crashing down in one moment if you get a wrong injury and hurt something. Right. But that's the reason why you know the top wrestlers, your Dwayne Johnsons, your John Cena's, they transition so well to Hollywood because they're 
they're more. They have their they all. Actors, yeah. They're actors. They're buff. Mm-hmm. They, and, they're like you know, yeah. They're they're in tune with their bodies. Like they like the body language and the motion. Yeah. You know, that all lent, yeah, it lends itself very well to mm-hmm. acting on camera. That's what they're doing. They're stars of a television show. Like mm-hmm. that's what they've been doing their entire career. But they still get this reputation as being yeah. dumb meatheads. Mm-hmm. That you know, and some of them are definitely dumb <laughs> meatheads. That's not be. It's not be. And also, you know, like wrestling can court that kind of audience, like especially in the Attitude Era, which mm-hmm. we're kind of mm-hmm. getting into the thick of now. Like to get more eyeballs, like they go more a little more crass or like they mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of like going over the line they're kind of like looking at to be fair looking at what else is popular yeah and giving that to people but there are so many flavors of pro wrestling like if if that's one thing i ever like will say to people who are skeptical about it it's like don't judge it all by like one era of one company because i'm mm-hmm. sure that's all that you remember mm-hmm. you know because there have been times in the WWF when it was extremely family friendly and very different from mm-hmm. what we're talking about right now. Well, even the PG era with John Cena, where they just trying to appeal to advertisers, right. just go straight up to kids, and it was. But yeah, but like mm. you go across the world, you have like Lucha Libre in Mexico, which is very cartoony and mm. family oriented, and you have Japanese wrestling, which is kind of courts a more like serious athletic competition crowd most of the time it's the japanese wrestling matches can get really brutal yeah. some of the guys there it's all about just pain and making it look hard yeah mm. and there's a there's a, there's a saying in wrestling called uh, being stiff so basically if you're not stiff you know you can fake the punch but not really punch you if you're stiff you're just gonna literally actually hit them mm. actually just smack it and give them the elbows and treat it like it's an MMA fight mm. and it looks real or off on TV but wrestling yeah. stiff wrestlers is kind of like you kind of have to both be stiff and sort of both be in that mindset of mm. I'm going to elbow you as hard as I can in the face you're going to elbow me as hard as you can in the right. face yeah. but that's what a lot of the Japanese wrestlers are is mm. just completely stiff matches pretty sick bumps but they got some great talent over there Okada so for listeners, bumps are falls. Bumps are, yeah. yeah. There's just any sort of wrestling maneuver that you would do where you would get hurt. Yeah. So, and selling is the act of pretending that the bump has hurt you. Right. And some wrestlers, Bret Hart, fantastic at selling. Mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels, fantastic at selling. Other wrestlers, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> kind of downplay the offense that your opponent, because you always want to make your opponent look good. Like, they're hurting the heck out of you, even if they're not really hurting you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, there's a lot of good selling on particularly these two matches, the Montreal Screwjob and the Hell in the Cell. Like, because <laughs> going back, that's just what I take from it. Like, it looks like these guys are beating the shit out of each other, and there's, like, <laughs> nothing else going on but just an ass kicking. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. While we're in this era of WWF, we got to talk about also the, the North Star, the twin North Stars of the company. We got to talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. And The Rock? And The Rock. Ooh. Yeah, Stone Cold felt like the Michael Jordan of this particular era back when I think about it, like, as a kid. I was like, he's just number one. He's, like, the reigning champion most of the time. He's bald. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Well, it was the big angle that built him, was the angle with Vince McMahon, is Vince decided that he was going to be the rebellious guy who didn't listen to his boss and sort of tapped into that blue-collar desire that Mm -hmm. everyone has to just tell your boss to shove it. And throw a beer in his face and give him the center. <laughs> so basically having everything against Austin was pretty much the angle for a couple of, at least two years there. Where just everything he could throw at Austin. And that also included the, the Rock, who was mm-hmm. brought up, who was this blue chipper kid 
the blue chipper Rocky Mayavea. Oh, I totally remember the blue chipper. I can see that interview in WWF magazine right now. I can just see his hair. <laughs> yes. And those bl- those baby blue tights mm-hmm. he was wearing, those turquoise almost. Yeah, it had it was all kinds of blues. Is you know the nod to his island, his Pacific Islander heritage, because he's a third generation wrestler. His granddad was High Chief uh, High Chief Peter, Peter Mayavea, and then his dad was Soul Man Rocky Johnson. Mm-hmm. So like they they initially positioned him as like look at this like this up and coming dude he's smiling at everybody he's waving he just loves being here and people shit all over it <laughs> <laughs> they hated it so much yeah just because that's the problem with wrestling is you have this talent like Dwayne Johnson is one of the most charismatic people on the planet today and you just give him this gimmick of just go out there and smile and wave to the fans. <laughs> And they'll cheer you. <laughs> and we'll keep talking about what your dad and your granddad did. That'll make people, that'll get people on your side. Yeah. <laughs> You're a third generation superstar. Wow. You came from wrestlers and the fans just reject it. But even a guy like that can't get it over. But that's what I'm saying with the face and the heel turn is if you turn people heel, almost everyone becomes the character they become when you turn them heel. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin was that because they turned him heel. Roman yeah. Reigns, the shirt I'm wearing, is in the middle of a fantastic heel run right now. Same for Becky Lynch, who's uh, out of commission, but face for a while, Current turned her heel, yeah. and then everyone just loves him. Because that's what you need to become a good face, is you need to be the heel and then bring it back around mm. to where you're battling other heels. Mm-hmm. But still be Everyone awesome. loves a redemption story. Exactly, it's, yeah. <laughs> It is a redemption story. It's 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 more of just sort of giving a little bit of edge, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. Is that you know no one liked Rocky Mayavea, the smiling blue chipper, squeaky clean. But then he turned into the heel rock and started being this sort of you know jock bully sort of archetype, mm-hmm. and they loved him. So they yeah. turned him around. He didn't go back to Rocky Mayavea. He stayed the rock, but he was the rock going after yeah. Triple H and such. I think that's like people you're responding to someone's humanity. It's like if someone just portrays himself as like I'm the squeaky clean good guy all the time is like. No, that's way harder to believe than someone who just is an unrepentant asshole. Like, <laughs> we see that all the time. Like, we get that. But, like, no one is perfect. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you can, you know, break down, show your flaws. Like, his heel turn started when uh, The Rock joined a black nationalist faction in the WWF, which is an insane thought. I can't believe they still pulled that off. The Nation of Domination. And,. You know, he's he's going into his very real frustrations with like, you people boo me. You people shout, die, Rocky, die. Subtext is like, no one deserves that. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, fuck mm. you people. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of what a good booker has to do is if you're a face and not getting over, turn you heel. Yeah. Except if you're John Cena, in which case, just keep him face forever. <laughs> and if you're a heel, people are cheering, keep the character, but turn them face. And that's pretty much how you get every good wrestling character is that's a face, at least, is their heel character turned on yeah. his head. Mm-hmm. John Cena wouldn't even turn heel in Bumblebee. At least there's no hope for that guy. <laughs> I think he, he might eventually he might come back and do a Hollywood Cena angle. I, I, I have I have hope that Cena will eventually because he was heel at the start of his career when he was the white rapper dude who would come out and make all his little make fun of people make fun of people's little raps <laughs> and he's a heel at the start of f9 <laughs> that's true that's true but again spoilers for f9 john cena stay that will way. Not, john cena will not work heel 
I haven't seen F9, but I could definitely tell you that would definitely... I just knew from the trailers, start as Dom's adversary, but family would overcome all because it's a freaking Fast and the Furious right, movie yeah, and yeah. family always overcomes all on those things. All oh, right. No more F9 spoilers, though. We can't, okay, be, sorry. can't be losing the audience here. Um, to, go, to go back to Austin for a second, you know, I talked about cooling my passion for wrestling when Bret Hart was turned heel and kind of... Went, I think this this happened in concert with like the rise of Stone Cold because they had a great rivalry, mm-hmm. really great matches. You know, looking back in '96 and '97, but I think I was also just frustrated at the time with like the anti-hero becoming the person that people would cheer for. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, why do people like this loud, abrasive person? Like, this is not <laughs> what I want to see in the world. Obviously, blind to any sort of flaws within Bret Hart, which is the whole point of that. Mm-hmm. feud mm-hmm. you know because in retrospect man what a great character Stone Cold Steve Austin mm-hmm. had and like I said about Shawn Michaels too it goes even more so for Austin like both these guys were assholes but at least Austin was honest about it like he said this is who I am I'm just a redneck from Texas and if you don't like that I'm gonna interrupt you and I'm, I'm in, in promos I'm gonna I'm gonna like look straight at the camera when I'm coming into the ray and, and just do my own thing well, he just sort of had a take-no-shit attitude, yep. even with the match with Mike Tyson. Are you aware of this? When, uh, his first WrestleMania <laughs> main event is uh, Shawn Michaels versus, with DX, bad guy, versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. And they bring in Mike Tyson to be the special guest enforcer. <laughs> and so they get him in the ring, and Mike Tyson's like, uh, and this is like Mike Tyson at the prime of his career. Like, yeah. we're talking 97, 98, like, biting ear, the ear, ear biting, off, <laughs> Ear biting yeah. freaking Tyson we're talking about here. <laughs> And uh, Tyson starts getting it, and Austin just shoves him, and Tyson just shoves him back. And it's like, who the hell would be ballsy enough to get into a shoving match with Mike freaking Tyson? He'll knock your brains out. But then eventually Tyson would come along and uh, side up with Austin and help him win the match and cheer him and come to his side and learn to respect him, you know? Yeah. Because he did push back. I was too much of a goody-two-shoes to appreciate Austin in his time. Yeah? Yeah. Sadly. But... I've come around. I, I totally get his appeal, especially like going through his career. His style changed a lot. He had a very famous um, neck injury mm. in the middle of 1997, and which kind of like caused his whole style to change. Mm. But a very interesting evolution. And, and he's still out there, like kind of one of the, the deans of the wrestling world. He has a podcast mm-hmm. and he brings on people in the, in the wrestling business and kind of goes through it all, keeping the flame. Well, his whole reign at the top, too, was very short-lived because, I mean, again, the neck injury that Eric just mentioned, but he only really, like, 97, then he left the company in, like, 2003 or 2001 or 2002. There's a lot of of drama, yeah, with his whole situation. But, I mean, that's the thing with wrestling is you build up these guys and they either go to the movies or they either get injured Mm -hmm. or you have to just deal with them or have them around in either your company or another company. And because once you build someone up to a certain level like that, it just becomes. It's ultimately like one other thing I love about wrestling. It's ultimately it's creator driven. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, the the boss and the booker, they have the power. But like these guys can go. I think of Chris Jericho as an example. Like Mm -hmm. he just he just goes and does whatever he wants. Like ultimately, it's that personality that is enduring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as there's someone, some promotion that 
wants to hire him, he'll be out there working. He just likes to make random, just the most random things he'll get over with a crowd. Like in his last WWE run before he left for AEW, he simply had a list that he would bring around called the List of Jericho. (laughs) And whenever somebody pissed him off, he'd go, oh, okay. And he'd take out the list and he'd look them over, take out a little clicky pen. He'd click the pen and he'd just do this very deliberately because everyone knew it was coming. And just go, you just made the list. <laughs> and it got this, it This is how so school over. shooters are made. <laughs> Uh-oh. Making the list of Jericho. It was more whimsical than that. <laughs> it was definitely more whimsical, it, you know. You know, he's, he's, when, he, when he's a heel, it's, he plays this like, very petulant, egotistical kind of celebrity type of person. Like rock, egotistical rock star is basically his character type. Mm. So it's more just like throwing a tantrum and being like, yeah, yeah. I'm not getting what I want. I'm being a baby. Well, he reinvents himself yeah. time and time and time again. Like back in WCW, he was uh, infused with Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand holds. So he shows up on Nitro with a freaking <laughs> computer fax out declaring he's the man of yeah. a thousand and four holds and starts reading, reading them it. off the list. But like, there's a great moment where he brings like, it's just like a ream of paper and he like, he like unfurls it. Like, and it goes like halfway across the ring because it's just such a long list of like dot matrix printer paper. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> a funny, a funny man. There's another one where he came back, he was away for a while. So he, he comes back and it's all like, Oh, Chris Jericho's back. And he's going, he's performing for the crowd and he's like showing them up and he's like, yeah, give it up for me and then everyone expects him to grab a mic and be like i'm back and he just goes now and just walks to the back <laughs> doesn't say a word oh, I, okay. I need to look him up because that name i know that name i and i probably know his face if i saw him oh yes i remember this guy he's a rock star of course Ozzy. man so many wrestlers look the same he got fat though <laughs> he looks like me now he's like yeah. i feel like Shawn michaels chris jericho <laughs> triple h they all just kind of blend together in my memory like okay yeah long-haired well, blonde long guys hair, yeah I mean, and I like how Jericho these days is like back to the long hair when it's like not really a cool thing anymore because he's that's what Jericho will do is like, you know what? I'm going to grow the long hair again because there was a moment. I mean, in the late 90s into the early 2000s, like that's when everyone's kind of cutting their hair. Metallica's mm-hmm. cutting their hair. So, mm-hmm. of course, other folks are going to cut their hair. DDP is the only one that's coming to mind right now, but there's several others. I mean, Bradshaw cuts his hair. Bradshaw cuts his hair to be JBL. Did Undertaker ever cut his hair? Yes. yes. For really? the American badass yep. character. He cuts his hair. Eventually, Kane is bald. And, like, you know. Mm. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Undertaker came back with Come Out to Roland by Limp Bizkit <laughs> and rode a motorcycle to the ring. Yeah. Who is, has anyone stayed consistently with long hair? RVD, I don't think I've ever seen with short hair. No. Mike, Shawn Michaels also, like, no, he cut his hair. He had like a bob, but he's never had like a really short No, he, he, I think now he shaved his head off. Oh, yeah. Now he does. I guess I, I'm trying to think. Yeah. yeah. But when he was like an active wrestler, I don't know if he like ever did a drastic so. chopping of his hair. Because it was so long and luxurious. Yeah. Kevin Nash, Kevin another Nash. one who looks really. Scott Hall. I haven't seen him with short yeah. hair. No. You know had good hair with Scotty Too Hottie? He had good hair. Yeah. Do you remember Scott? He was the guy who did mm-hmm. the worm. Which I was a move I learned how to do on the dance floor. You could actually do the worm. I mean, I, in my mind. Okay. And good. like people watching seem to enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I tried. I could never even come close to doing anything. If I had a little more room here in the studio, I'd, yeah, I might bust you, it out you'd for you. Attempt the worm. Yeah, but 
I used to do that at like school dances. I would I would do the whole the, the theatrics as well. Like jump, <laughs> do the, jumping on one uh, leg, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then falling to the ground. <laughs> I want you to do it on a bed of thumbtacks. No. <laughs> thumbtacks and Legos. Oh my Either god! One. No, thank you. <laughs> Man. Any other thoughts about the Hell in the Cell? I mean, we'll we'll talk a little more about WWF as we go along. Well, yeah, we'll... just that it really ushered in this whole need. I mean, the TLC matches a couple of years later between the Dudley oh, Boys, yes. Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, yeah, and just consistently having people who were wanting to take these big bumps and wanting to make these big moments. Yeah. It's even bigger now because of the internet, where if you do, if Sammy Guevara jumps out of a helicopter, you can bet it's going to be tweeted, it's going to be on Reddit and everywhere. Mm-hmm. That it's all about doing the next thing that makes you go, holy crap, like that freaking jump off the cell did. And eventually something's going to happen. It's going to be really bad, but Mm. hopefully not. Fingers crossed. Well, from one bad thing to another, actually I should say from one incredibly dangerous move to another (laughs) incredibly dangerous move. One that was even more fatal than jumping off hell in a cell. (laughs) Where are you going with this? I'm curious. Oh, I'm talking about the fourth uh, moment milestone that we watched, which was David Arquette winning oh, the boy. WCW heavyweight <laughs> championship. Oh boy. So we, it's been, it's been a minute since we talked a lot about WCW, although we did kind of talk about how the NWO just kind of dominated their storylines for literally years. And then with this new creative surge in the WWF, getting more attitude, getting more reality based and, and like really pushing the envelope. WCW is struggling to keep up. They're no longer on top because they also have a problem with the politicking mm-hmm. backstage of like the older guys wanting to keep their spots and kind of holding younger talent back when they really should be like the WWF raising those guys mm-hmm. up to the main event. So where do I even begin? I mean, the problem with <laughs> WCW from 98 to 99 basically is that, you know, you have these established guys, you have Hogan, Nash, Hall, but they all sort of have the the WWE stink on them, which means they got famous in another company and then they mm-hmm. came over here. But you sort of knew them from there. And there mm. were three guys that were main eventers that were WCW loyal. And that's Sting. Mm-hmm. DDP was sort of in the company yeah. around, but he got a nice push. And then it's Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page. Mm-hmm. And then the, the big guy, the newcomer that they built from scratch was Goldberg. Hmm. who had sort of a similar look to Austin, bald head, goatee, wore the black trunks, but he was definitely more physically but, imposing yeah. than uh, if Austin. If Steve Austin had eaten like uh, a power-up mushroom from Mario, you'd <laughs> yeah. get Goldberg. And just been a workout fiend. He's over there. He's on a... Oh, yeah, he's... He's on the, the, the cover of WCW NW Revenge. So what they did with Goldberg is they put him on an undefeated streak where he just won every single match, match after match... So he would just win and win and win and win and win. Mm -hmm. And then one random Nitro, they said, okay, you face Hulk Hogan, the champ. And everyone's like, okay, he's got to lose now. He's up against Hogan. Beats Hogan. Wins the championship. And again, this is WCW's answer at the time for at least our generation to the Stone Cold Steve Austin to The Rock. Because kids weren't really... Hulk Hogan fans yeah. like this new guy who was coming in. <laughs> yeah. Nobody could freaking beat him. Every He was running roughshod over everyone. He was sort of the answer to the mega superstars. Mm. But he still was not in that old boys club. As much as, as much as he did for the company, as much as they tried to push him, it was still kind of a, you know, Hogan and Nash and Hall and Savage are kind of 
of the old boys and Goldberg's there. So they finally book him to lose. This is the this is this is the this is the crazy thing is um Starcade, their big pay-per-view. They have Kevin Nash versus Goldberg. And they have all this run and interference. Scott Hall comes in with a taser, this time a scripted taser, not a real taser. (laughs) (laughs) Tases Goldberg and Kevin Nash, Jackknife powerbombs him, ends the streak, wins the championship. Okay. Now the next night on Nitro, and this is actually um I believe it's January fourth, nineteen ninety nine is the most important day because it was Raw and Nitro on the same night. Raw was taped beforehand, and in the main event, Mick Foley defeated The Rock with help from Stone Cold Steve Austin to win the WWE Championship Mm. for the first time. But this was taped in advance. So on Nitro, in the middle of the show, the announcer, they go to him and he says, we've just been informed that Mick Foley, who used to wrestle for us as Cactus Jack, is winning the other championships promotion night. So if you're thinking of tuning into them, don't do it. And then he scoffs and goes, that'll put a lot of butts in seats. And apparently the numbers are say that at that moment, I think it's 600,000 people switched from (laughs) Nitro over to Raw. (laughs) But still, on that Nitro, there was advertised the rematch because Kevin Nash didn't like the way that all the interference he had beaten Goldberg. So he asked Goldberg for a rematch. Mm -hmm. Goldberg got arrested and had to be taken away from the arena. Dumb things. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So in the meantime, um, they are a match between Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan. Now, at this point, the NWO had split into two factions. There was the Hollywood led by Hollywood Hogan. and There was the Wolf Pack led by Kevin Nash with the dopest theme song in the history of (laughs) professional wrestling. Don't turn back on the Wolf Pack. So they were. (laughs) So basically, they had kept Nash and Hogan apart, even though they were. Former friends turned bitter allies. Yeah. No, wait. Former friends turned bitter enemies, not bitter allies. <laughs> well, so the, as we'll come to see. Uh, there we go. <laughs> so, uh, spoiler alert. So, the main event of the show, they put Hogan versus Nash for the championship. Nash had won the belt the night before, mm-hmm. and they get in each other's faces, and it's all, I'm going I'm to stop you. you and the bell rings. Hogan pokes Nash. Nash sells it and falls down. Hogan pins him and wins the championship. (laughs) So on the same night that they told people not to go over and see Raw, they advertised this match (laughs) between the two big stars. It ended in just a swerve bullshit bullshit finish (laughs) to reunite them together to make it all about Goldberg. But that's what you can't do in professional wrestling is the biggest mistake you can make is advertise a big money match and then screw the fans over and go, ha ha, just kidding. Just kidding. You don't get that match. Mm. And that night was basically seen as the turning point because it's, again, all the old guard, the same old guys that have been dominating the scene, who make all the good money, who have the fat contracts, once again, reinserting themselves into the title picture. And then the icing on the cake is the crowning of the everyman in WWF. And then it's they like, crown some, mankind. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, we we're giving, they're doing the exact opposite and giving the fans what they want. Like we're going to like, this is not the prototypical world champion, but you know what? He's earned it. So he's the champion. So then to fast forward to David Arquette. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, a sentence I love to hear at this time. It was Fresh managed, off of screen three. There was yes. a guy Arquette. named Eric Bischoff, who was basically the Vince McMahon of WCW. But again, he was relying, he was really good friends with Hulk Hogan. I think he actually owns all intellectual properties of Hulk Hogan. 
because Hulk Hogan gave it to him before his divorce, so his wife wouldn't get it. <laughs> but um, Bischoff's out, and they want to go in a hot new direction. And who do they go to then? Former WWF <laughs> magazine writer Vince Russo, yes. who was basically pioneered the Jerry Springer style of wrestling. And they mm. thought, this guy's got to be a genius. Let's bring him over. Let's give him complete control over WCW. <laughs> he made WWF what it was. This mm. is the guy. And he's just a dumb Brooklyn idiot. So <laughs> he's just a, he's just, he's probably good in his role when he's like reporting to Vince and has like, I got a wacky idea. Okay, Vince right. will do that. But when you put him in charge of the company, <laughs> there's an element. Yeah. There's a, there's a George Lucas esque element here. <laughs> yeah. Of like, he's got control. He's too much control. And like, he's got to have people around him and tell him like, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> So when left to his own devices, now at this time, and one of their big plots was, this, you know, the movie Ready for Rumble, Ready to Rumble. Do you remember right. that movie? I have never seen it, but I remember like, yeah, I remember it existing. You and, do not need to see it. Oh, no. I'm going to see it. Don't worry. It's basically, <laughs> okay, so the plot is it's David Arquette and um, oh, someone else, some other pretty Scott cool. Kahn. Scott Kahn. Yeah. That's right. Scott Kahn. <laughs> are two wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. And so most of the wrestlers play themselves, but for some asinine reason, <laughs> for some, I don't know what they were thinking reason. Great reason. Terrible reason. <laughs> Terrible reason. They decided to make like the main wrestler that the boys would get behind played by Oliver Platt, <laughs> who just is the, does not look anything like a wrestler. They had to pad him up in clothing to hide his, like... He definitely looks like a wrestler from the 70s. Like, that's the physique he's got. He doesn't look like any wrestler <laughs> from any time. Oliver Platt in that movie, because he's... That's the thing, is everyone else is played by an actual WCW wrestler. Uh -huh. And Diamond Dallas Page plays the bad guy that takes the title. I think, um, what's his name? From, um, from The Matrix and The Sopranos? Joe Manta... Oh. From Memento? I don't know if John Pantleonato. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I'm thinking of the other guy. He plays like the evil booker that's scheming to get <laughs> Oliver Platt out of his thing. But um, I mean, one thing I, I will say, Oliver Platt's a little more believable in the era before steroids were widespread in wrestling. I just I don't see Oliver <laughs> Platt. Have you ever a seen? Have you ever seen Playboy Buddy Rose? Playboy Buddy Rose. Yeah. That is a bit Oliver Platty. Okay, <laughs> that is a bit. It's a bit you know, a bit of the old. Uh, not really hitting the gym. Yeah, just go wrestle. Wrestling heads will know. This is a wrestling head moment that we're having. But, yeah. So, so okay. Yeah, promoting so, this movie. Promoting this movie, Ready to Rumble. Right. David Arquette shows up and starts a feud with Eric Bischoff. And now Down House Page is his friend. So they have a match. Um, I think well, Jeff Jarrett is the champion. No, uh, or is it DDP? I think, no, DDP had just won the title, which makes it even more stupid. Which makes it even more stupid. He had won the title on their, on their previous thursday night show because this isn't even the monday night show this is it's not even happening at a pay-per-view like i can't <laughs> i can't begin to describe this how silly this is but like it's it's happening on 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 upn on a thursday night or whatever and tnt tnt think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where they bring david arquette in and this stipulation is okay there's four guys in this match anyone who gets the pinfall will be the champion like you do not actually have to pin diamond dallas page you can any anyone who wins will be the champion <laughs> well it's how they do celebrity matches most of the time is they put the celebrity with the wrestler against the celebrity another wrestler mm -hmm. so i mean they had the famous one i think was uh when they brought in dennis rodman and carl malone dennis rodman was yes. with uh hollywood hogan in the nwo carl right. malone was with with ddp ddp <laughs> and they did so it. this is yeah this is wcw's mo but they did it again and they brought in jay leno yeah 
and he lost the match because uh, Kevin Eubanks came and turned on him. Just <laughs> amazing. The greatest. Amazing. Pro wrestling's great. Like celebrities are always going to be in the orbit around pro wrestling. It's like kind of a fun thing, but you don't expect them to be like at this level, like of the storyline. Like the the, yeah. the the world championship is like your top level storyline. So it's David Arquette. So and basically, yeah. Diamond so they Alice have Page. David Arquette and Diamond Dallas Page. At this point, they brought Bischoff back into the company as sort of a oh, we kind of messed up with this Russo guy. So come back Bischoff mm-hmm. but he was more of a on-screen character at that point so it's Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff versus David Arquette and Diamond Dallas Page mm-hmm. whoever gets the pinfall wins the championship who gets the pinfall <laughs> David Arquette on <laughs> Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> to win the championship for and it's not even like I guess not even Oliver Platt that would be even stupider Right, because he is—he was the star of the movie, and it was to promote this stupid movie. <laughs> but it devalues the championship belt so much. The movie was already out, by the way. It was yeah. like it had been out for like a month. <laughs> like, it was like, what are you doing? And, and then the everyone next... sounds shocked. Like the commentators are like, yeah. "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> it's not even—it's not even shocked. It's more of just like everyone knew it was a bad decision from the get-go, just because of how. Everything in wrestling is about how the big shiny belt is what every wrestler wants, and they'll do whatever it takes to get it. And is David Arquette, the new world champion, and David Arquette's the new world champion, <laughs> and just this lineage that like you can trace it back and go, oh man, yeah. I do love like watching that. How happy Diamond Dallas Page is for him, even though like it was his title, <laughs> technically. Like David He's Arquette happy for took his it friend. from him. Like, <laughs> he could win it back. You never know. <laughs> I guess that's true, but it's just it's just so funny to be like Diamond Dallas. He's like, yeah, you did it. Wait a minute. Like, <laughs> well, then you know what happened after that at the next pay per view, right? set up the gimmick match from ready to rumble yes. which is like a three cage triple cage, cage. <laughs> cage. does look pretty dope and how does that match end with david arquette turning on diamond oh, dallas page betrayal. to side with jeff jarrett and what? jeff jarrett winning the championship that's the right move <laughs> Actually, the, I, I don't hate the way that story ends to be honest with you i just hate <laughs> the fact that arquette was champion it's, like it's really insane and like we, we're blaming russo a lot but like i do think Bischoff. It might have been Bischoff's call too. It was Russo. If Russo's <laughs> fingerprints were all over that at that point. Bischoff does sometimes take credit for it, but I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, as it's with a, most wrestling stories. It was definitely the point where they were realizing that Russo was a, just a bad call. Because again, what he did too was he immediately made himself a part of the show, hmm. which is what sort of you do if you're a bad booker. Is you know. I start a wrestling company and suddenly Cody's there and he's giving a promo and you're going to do this and you're going to do that to draw attention to me. Yeah. And so I would watch that. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> I have more charisma than Vince Russo. Though, <laughs> but sort of, especially after Vince successfully did it so much that you just want an authority figure on screen and why not have it be me? And Eric Bischoff actually is really charismatic. Very, very yeah, easy to hate. He's very easy to natural hate. heel. <laughs> natural heel. When he was Raw GM, though, this was years later when they hired him to WWE. He was fantastic in that role. But um, anyway, yeah, David, David Arquette. Arquette was the champion. <laughs> what did What did you make of that, Cam? <laughs> well, first, like most of this match, I, I had no idea what was happening. It was just like chaos. <laughs> yeah. It was like two that's, people, like four people, fighting at the same time. That's like, WCW. Two on two. I'm just like, ah, what am I looking at? And then it's just like abruptly, like. It's it's not a very long match. It's like eight nine minutes. 
suddenly David Arquette is just the winner. I'm just <laughs> like, what? And I'm just as shocked as the announcer sound. They're just like, this is where we are. Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. Yeah. <laughs> and it was such a good like cap to to the four matches we watched, especially after Hell in a Cell. <laughs> it was like the moment of levity you need after that. <laughs> and it was a great way to to like compare the two styles of just like this hyper maybe realistic grim gritty wwf style yeah versus like let's just be as silly and theatrical in in a, in a silly light way as possible like bring in celebrities and yeah and i don't know it, to me it was like you see how far the two styles have gone yeah where they diverged and where they are now like very intrigued by like the branching of the two <laughs> styles. I think, <laughs> I think, and I think the real big difference is that WCW, like they still had the whiff of like the corporate control of, of all of this. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in the WWF, like everything is running. It's you're seeing the world through Vince McMahon's eyes. Mm-hmm. Like everything goes through that Vince filter. And he's mm-hmm. just like a carny through and through. He is like <laughs> one, one of a kind when he's gone, like there's never going to be another one like him for mm-hmm. better or worse. And, so, like, you know, WCW is owned by Turner Media, mm. and they may hire people who, like, run it, but, like, they still answer to these corporate bosses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, it does have the, the the feel of, like, a brand trying to be edgy, yeah. like, seeing the edgy ideas that they're doing. It's like a brand versus, like, an auteur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And, and But for sometimes for that reason, I kind of liked some of the undercard gimmicks, like, the the not the top guys in WCW, but... I got more out of that than I did out of like the WWF. Like, the WWF has like a wrestling pimp, whereas the WCW has like a guy who disco dances un- nonstop. Like <laughs> that's I like that a little better. <laughs> well, the WCW had a really stacked mid card for a couple of years. Oh yeah, there. they were very talented, no doubt. I think I, I'm just talking about like the gimmicks in mm. general, like at, especially at the time. Like so, I remember vividly trying to dip back into WWF in the summer of '98. Just because I wasn't quite done yet. And, of course, it's getting popular. People are talking about it at school. And right, right, right. I'm like, you guys are finally on the train. And I turn on an episode of Raw. And, like, my parents are around, too. They're kind of keeping an eye on it. And, like, the first match is Val Venus, who, uh, for those who don't know, his character is basically, like, a porn star. A wrestling porn star. So we're just watching this guy come out to the ring in nothing but a towel and boots. And, like, his, his whole, like, you know, shtick when he gets in is to, like, very you know be very sultry and like take off the towel as if he's got nothing underneath but he does have trunks and it's like my mom's like turn it off (laughs) and like there was no more wrestling for a while after that (laughs) thanks val yeah but i kept the flame through video games mostly Mm. like we also have a copy of no mercy on the n64 out here Mm. but also wrestlemania 2000 oh hell yeah it was kind of it kind of became more of a surreptitious thing in my life or like Again, to be honest, is like I wasn't ever going to be as big a fan as I was before I had my illusion shattered mm-hmm. <laughs> by mm-hmm. Bret Hart at all. But I still had an interest, and I still like tried to dip in where I could. And I think I kind of gravitated more towards WCW just like on the off chance I would catch wrestling because they're throwing anything at the wall, mm-hmm. and you never knew what you were going to get. They just the completely the last couple of years of WCW was just I mean. Like they had one thing where they basically Vince Russo, because Hulk Hogan in his entire time at WWE, he had this clause called creative control, which basically meant if I don't feel like doing it, I'm not doing it. 
I'm just going to say no and we're going to do things my way or we're not going to do things at all. Mm-hmm. So it's late in Vince Russo's thing. And Vince Russo always had a hate thing for Hulk Hogan. I don't know if it was predetermined or if it was there, but Hulk Hogan, they wanted him to lose to Jeff Jarrett. Hulk Hogan's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I need to beat Jeff Jarrett. So he goes to the ring. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett lays down. Vince Russo starts screaming at Hulk Hogan, pin him, pin him, you son of a bitch. Go for it. Hogan gets on a live mic, pins him one, two, three, and goes, this is why the company's in the shitter, brother. <laughs> and then leaves, and Vince Russo then gets on, and again, this is the <laughs> line between, you know, you always have to maintain some semblance of kayfabe, which kayfabe is pretending this is real right. mm. this and is not scripted. This is right. actually happening. Professional wrestling is real. These people really hate each yeah. other. It's basically the equivalent, like, you wouldn't want to watch a movie where, <laughs> where like, uh, Tom Holland like turns to the camera and be like, aren't I doing a good job as Spider-Man? Like that sort of thing. <laughs> Hi there, Tom Holland yeah. here. <laughs> Just a friendly reminder, don't jump off buildings. Yeah. You won't survive. But that's sort of blurring the lines between like, because once you destroy that illusion, mm-hmm. you shatter everything about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so it's all fake. So the next match coming out, that's fake as well. Yeah. So you kind of have to do a line between real and fake and Vince Russo was all about destroying that line mm. just coming out and saying <laughs> peeing on it <laughs> we needed Hogan to do the job but he yeah. kicked in his creative control clause you'll never see him in a WCW ring again yeah. Yeah. and you know what he can take that championship we're gonna have Booker T versus Jeff Jarrett tonight <laughs> to decide the real WCW champion and it's like okay but so, so you predetermined that match as well Vince yeah. like <laughs> I sense I sense from from the WCW like that we watched even aesthetically, they they kind of make it seem like more of a real sporting event. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's not as theatrical. They don't have like the storylines, or at least like the narrative depth that like the Undertaker's right. backstory has. You know, right. stuff like that. Like, right. and even the, just the set itself, just it feels like just kind of a heightened like boxing ring. Yeah, it's it's like sports lighting, not TV lighting. Yeah, and I, and I feel it, and that seems to kind of go along with what you're saying about what Vince Russo wanted was was like to break that illusion just mm-hmm. be like no this is like a sporting event this is you know a match between two athletes versus like a storyline versus a versus the old dinosaurs that are still hanging around yeah. still demanding things get their way like we have locker room divas we have up and coming guys and i'm like the manager doing it all and it's like the wrong tack <laughs> completely uh the last days of WCW. It's very sad. It's sad, but it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's unavoidable what happened. Yeah, I mean, I did. There are a lot of things still to like about it. Um, like it's fun to watch Kevin Nash and Scott Hall be like quote unquote themselves after like getting to know them as their WWF characters. I always liked DDP because of mm. his energy and his diamond cutter hand gesture. Like he go, you know, put his hands up like Jay Z, diamonds in the sky, and then bam. <laughs> With the with the fireworks, they had good pyro in WCW. The Goldberg entrance, we yeah. just come out and just pyro, <laughs> and you just stand there like, like he was absorbing it, getting sprayed by the sparks. Yeah, I would that. I didn't even know. That, I felt like that would hurt though. I don't know. Can not, you do pyro that doesn't hurt? Not like, to, would not it to sting? I'm sure it probably did. But there's never like marks on his body or anything, <laughs> man. Well. But the thing about you're so right, Cam, about the narrative depth though of WWF because the thing that they did really well and that we saw in the samples was the pre-match hype video Mm -hmm. like that those are like mini 
movies in and of themselves, like separate from the match. It's just like, wow, this is such a compelling like recap of everything that's going on. Yeah. It's basically the previously on WWF, yeah. like everything you need to know to watch this match that's about to happen mm-hmm. to this day. Like that's just their bread and butter. They do a really good job of that. We always want to build a feud. You always want to give these two people a reason right. why they hate each other, why they want to get into a ring and punch each other out. Mm-hmm. And WCW for so many years just relied on this is the NWO and <laughs> these are the people they're against and the NWO is going to beat you down and spray paint you and NWO on your back and you hate the NWO because they did that right. to you. Whereas WWF really put forth these personal battles between, you know, Rock and Mankind, between Triple H, mm-hmm. between Stone Cold Steve Austin, where it was a lot more cerebral and a lot more sort of... Yeah, psychological. Psychological, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. But that also helped with character work, too, yeah. you know, is that all these characters they had, they were main eventers, but they were all definitely different and unique in their own way. Yeah. And yeah. I think in many ways, WCW, like, learned the wrong lesson from the Montreal Screwjob. You know, whereas WWF is like, okay, we can kind of like turn this into something with like everyone knows who the boss is now, and we'll like yeah. we'll just exaggerate that. Yeah. Whereas WCW is like, oh, there are fans who are like the segment of fans that are really keyed into all the backstage happenings, so we're gonna like play to that and make them think like what they've heard is true and like build off of that. And that and like with Vince Russo, mm-hmm. it just went completely off the rails in that direction, mm. and to the point where it's just like, dude, what are we even watching anymore? Yeah. <laughs> David Arquette's our champion. I don't. I don't know what's going on. And it just it devalues it. So I keep going back to this point, but because you know, they do celebrity matches all the time, where Snooki's wrestled at WrestleMania, <laughs> and but the WWE they have a belt now called the Twenty Four Seven Championship, which it's remember the old hardcore Twenty Four Seven rules. Yes. it's basically can be defended. Anytime you want, you just roll yeah. up and have a wrestler count. Lots of wackiness. Hmm. can happen anywhere at any time. Hmm. But they had Gronk win it. They had um, <laughs> Bad Bunny won it and then performed on SNL with a belt around I his thing. It's pretty cool. <laughs> they have like announcers from like various Fox shows win it. But it's sort of like because it's a joke of a title because you don't take it yeah, seriously. And you know, oh, hey, Gronk's the champ now. It's Isn't that funny. funny? You know, it's like guys have have pinned guys like the champion is sleeping on a plane. So someone just like comes over and pins him. And <laughs> yeah. Wins the title <laughs> or like comes out of nowhere and just, you know, sneak attacks. There's ninjas. And, like, and, th- and these things are like, sometimes they're happening on TV, but I've, I've seen it. Like they're just happening like on a Twitter video. Like it's just like, by the way, I'm the champion in now. the night. This is what I did. You know? <laughs> well, so they have like a comic con thing. They go to they just have the championship change oh, hands at comic con. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Nice. But yeah. that's the right way to do a celebrity match. You know, mm-hmm. is put it aside and WWE does it really well where they really don't oh, yeah. bring the celebrities in to the title picture. They have no. them do their own thing. Mm-hmm. The Miz is the good guy for pairing with a uh, celebrities. <laughs> or uh, I one more slightly more contemporary memory. So like in college, like the first couple of years of college, all of us together, Trojans mm. fight on. Fight on. Um, the first couple of years I got back into wrestling just cause it was like something that happened on our floor that first year, freshman year. And like mm. we're, we're watching it and uh, a super show came to town, I think our sophomore year at the Staples center. So mm. it was a taping of raw and SmackDown. And on one of the shows, I guess it was SmackDown. Uh, Kevin Federline was like the big celebrity guest. And let me tell you, I remember this. I've been to a lot of sporting events in my life, and you know, there's always like people that fans love to hate. I have never heard vitriol like I heard for Kevin Federline in the year 2006. <laughs> and he was paired with um, it was Eminem, the tag team mm-hmm. of Joey Mercury and Johnny Nitro, who whose gimmick was like that they're kind of self-absorbed 
paparazzi celebrities. He's teaming with them, and then John Cena came and kicked all their butts. <laughs> he gave he gave the F five or the FU to Kevin Federline, and I'll, that's just what I carry with me from that show. I barely remember anything else that happened except that Kevin Kick Federline, him. I thought was going to die because someone was going <laughs> to run out there and kill him. Like, <laughs> the, people wanted his head. Wow. Well, this is kind of similar, actually, to what I was talking about with the mankind, how every wrestler kind of wanted to outdo him. It's getting to the point where every celebrity wants to be like the baddest celebrity, like yeah. Kevin Federline take, <laughs> took John Cena's finisher. Um, what's his name? Machine Gun Kelly got powerbombed through a table by Kevin Owens. Nice. And then, uh, and yeah, Bad Bunny at WrestleMania. He literally went to the studio and wrestled and wrestled. He was doing all sorts of like flippy shit moves. <laughs> And just, it's every celebrity now has to outdo each other. Because if you just go in the ring and just, oh, I'm here. Don't hit me. Blah, blah, blah. You kind of look like a, you know, like a pussy. Take a bump. Go through a table, you know? Um, about seven years ago, right before this podcast started, in fact, mm. I was I was writing for um, a website that was run by a friend of ours, Crystal Bailey. Crystal Bailey. And... Uh, there's an opportunity to go to like the media day for this new show that was launching on Spike TV called Lucha Underground, mm. a wrestling show that ran for a few years, and they were just starting. And I went, and you know they just made all the talent available to do interviews, and they had one station where a couple of the wrestlers were in the ring and like doing photo ops, <laughs> and somehow you know I was like I guess put out the vibe that I kind of was more of a fan than these other people who were just kind of like sent there to do it. <laughs> so I took a couple bumps and like the other really report, other like writer reporters around there like were gasping like oh my god this wrestler just like threw this guy to the ground <laughs> dude what did, I, you, what did you take what kind of bumps well he just is shoving me and like oh. but but I did like I like like quickly like fell on my back and I like I slapped my hands like they do on the mat because mm-hmm. that was all still remembered from that <laughs> birthday party <laughs> the training <laughs> sunk in and and there's some good photos, a yes. photo or two, right? Yeah, I'm being stretched by a couple of those luchadors. <laughs> Jeez, which didn't feel like anything. I have to say, it was like, it was like a yoga stretch. It was like designed not to hurt at all, but to mm-hmm. look like he's putting his knee on my back and like pretzeling me. Yeah. That's why you get a yeah. cell. You got to scream in agony. Yeah. It doesn't really hurt that bad. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you the photo. I've got a photo. Oh man, that's <laughs> so dope. I've always wanted to try and take a couple bumps in a wrestling ring yeah. just to see how it would feel. You know, take a body slam power slam maybe yeah i don't know i feel like it'd be painful though i feel like if you're not trained for it you want to take like that one big bump and then just be like all right whatever and go home and take some (laughs) painkillers i feel like if i was a celebrity i'd really want to get like slammed through a table at least if i was doing something i feel like yeah if you're with a company especially as huge as the wwe you're gonna they're gonna take good care of you they're gonna like do everything they can it's not like a fly-by-night thing oh since we're talking about David Arquette, that's just reminded me. I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Mm. No. I recommend it. It's it's pretty good, even if you're not like really into wrestling, but it's just like the story of how he kind of wanted to redeem himself in the wrestling world because like his whole life he's just been ridiculed for this. Especially among like wrestling fans who just will come up to him everywhere and just be like, You ruined everything, you suck. Mm. <laughs> it's like it wasn't my call. Like yeah. what the hell do you want me to do? I was just trying to promote a movie. But what he does is, like, he actually trains up, like, gets in shape. And, I mean, there's definitely, like, editorializing going on in the movie. But, like, wrestling itself, like, you don't care because it's such a compelling story that they're yeah. telling. And it's it's really works. Well, the big match he had, because he wanted to do, what he wanted to do to prove himself is basically go into 
the independent deathmatch scene, (laughs) which is legitimately, there's no protections of WWE in there. It's crazy people with light bulbs and nicking your artery and almost bleeding to death. So he went against this guy named uh, Nick Gage, who's just this absolute psychopath, literally got arrested for robbing a bank. And uh, the the camera was like right here and you can just see him full face. And he's a, he's a wrestler. People know him. He's not like some nobody. He's a public figure. Just him at a bank, literally standing there with a gun. And he got whatever time spent in jail for doing that robbery, but comes out and is just known for being this guy who's just, he's going to hurt you and do all this crazy shit. And Arquette's like, let's go. I'll do it. I'll fight you. Yeah. And apparently, because I watched the, they had a Nick Gage uh, Dark Side of the Ring documentary okay. that I saw on him. And he nicked something in his throat and mm. artery where David Arquette started bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Right. Yeah. And definitely not supposed to happen. It's definitely like, this yeah. is not the WWE where they're protecting. So yeah. he was like, Nick Gage apparently whispers in Arquette's ear, like, you're going to stay down for the pinfall. Otherwise, shit's going to get really bad. And Arquette's like, okay. And laid down and took the pinfall. Yeah, you see it in the movie too, where you're like, he's, he starts to like go away. Mm. Like, cause he's like, I need to just stop wrestling because I need medical attention. But mm. he does come back to just kind of like do a perfunctory, like, okay, pin me. Yeah. Bye. Wow. Then you see him go to the hospital. <laughs> and that's just like one part of this. This is like 10 minutes of this documentary. It's like, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it would really bug you if you if you went yeah. down the path he did, mm. just knowing that he's you know because no one says that to Snooky, she won at WrestleMania. <laughs> no one's bothering Snooky with that because yeah. she was in her match. She did her little celebrity cameo, mm-hmm. but to win the championship and have this little moment and the company's demise of every WCW fan kind of blames him. Yeah, well, redemption, redemption. Once again, David Arquette has become mankind. <laughs> I think he's out of it now, though. He retired. After oh, yeah, that yeah, he stopped. <laughs> it's clear it was just a, like, a thing to do for him, you know. But, I mean, to his credit, he went all in. He, oh, he got in shape. He learned some moves, and he did it. <laughs> I did have a couple more just, like, kind of odds and ends. Mostly I wanted to ask Cody and Cam if you watched more, like, beyond the TV. Like, did you watch pay-per-views growing up? Um, my dad would never buy them, so that was a tough one for us. But now it's pretty easy to yeah. go on yeah. a website. Nowadays it's just a, yeah. Well, you can steal them. I, st- I you <laughs> go Peacock, but I. That's just... the thing. That's also, it's like a streaming service now. Anyway, you don't yeah. pay. Per, it's not to call it a pay per view is a misnomer mm-hmm. these days. But... Well, I think uh, AEW still has official pay per views. I think you can still oh, okay. buy them on pay per view. But okay. yeah, Peacock is everything WWE now. Yeah, so it's all on there. It's just like another. It's it's just so tied to this era. Also, you know that format of consuming live events that I I look back on with fondness because yeah, my family was not going to pay for pay per views yeah, either. No. Because uh, I don't think they like 100% approved of me watching wrestling. Hmm. They didn't hate it, but they weren't unhappy, I think, when I stopped. And I had to go over to friends' houses. I did have like some friends, you know, here and there get pay per views. So, like, mm-hmm. I have vivid memories of like uh, the one Royal, Royal Rumble where Undertaker like wakes up in the casket. I think that was like against Yokozuna. Oh, man. And like him, Yokozuna and all the heels throw him in the casket during the casket match and like they're celebrating. But then all of a sudden, on the Jumbotron, you see like a camera from quote unquote inside the casket. It's a pre recorded bit. <laughs> and like Undertaker like, opens his eyes and they're like, oh my God. 
But um, SummerSlam 96 was one I definitely went to a friend's house to watch. Uh, my friend Mark and a couple others, I think, after that, too. It was just a lot of fun to go over on a Sunday night, usually in the summer, because mm-hmm. we would it would be like a sleepover thing because we didn't have school the next day. Man. Yeah, I never really had friends that watched the pay-per-views. I just sort of... I Yeah, I saw like maybe three or four. <laughs> I mean, like, it was so such a special thing to be watching it as it happened. I mean, I went to a couple. That's the thing. My parents never would buy one, but I got to you SummerSlam go, 2002 yeah. and then Survivor Series at uh, Madison Square Garden. The first ever Elimination Chamber match. Ooh, very nice. fancy. But um, I had bad seats for that one. I had great seats for SummerSlam. I had like, the most nosebleedy of the nosebleedy. They were like, we got you floor tickets last time. You'll get the... <laughs> the crap ones but it's still pretty cool i mean you know mm-hmm. i've always wanted to go to a royal rumble though that's my i gotta hit one of those eventually yeah. do you know what the royal rumble is cam mm-hmm. oh it's the greatest it's the greatest match in professional <laughs> wrestling it's 30 people 30 men enter the ring one at a time and you have to yeah. throw your opponent over the top rope to eliminate them yeah. and then the last person standing gets a title match at wrestlemania the biggest show of them all but it's like there's surprise entrance. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's like intervals between each person coming into the ring. So like every minute or two, like your, their focus just turns to like, oh, the countdown and like who's coming next. It's like mm. a fun. It's like a surprise egg. That's cool. For 30 of them in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and now even recently, because they're doing a whole push for the women's division, they have two Royal Rumbles on the same night. They have the women's and then the men's. And oh, it's yeah. still you can't get enough That's of like, them. You can't get enough Rumble. You bring up uh, women's wrestling. Like, that is like the biggest change, I think, since the days when I was like a young fan. Absolutely. Like, just the fact that, well, number one, it's taken seriously, but then like, it's just a huge influx of talent. It's like basically on, on a par in terms of screen time and storylines and like how, how, how it's presented. It's just mm-hmm. like totally world's different than how like the roles that women would play in wrestling historically. Well, they're getting over too, is the thing. Yeah. Becky Lynch is probably the top. One of the top stars in the company right now, even though she's uh, just had a baby, she just got married to uh, Seth Rollins, believe it or not. Oh, he's one of my right? favorites. It's a very handsome couple, those two. But it's just you put all this division into them, and Charlotte Flair's doing good. Sasha Banks is on The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. Bailey, yeah. and then. So you go from like this era we've been talking about where it's like brawl and panties matches, like you just have to strip your opponent, <laughs> and that's the match, mm-hmm. to like. They're doing the same things as the men. Like they're just they're having the same type of matches, like mm-hmm. Royal Rumbles and cage matches with like psychology and like some of them are like really painful. You know, yeah. they can really put it on and just pushing them too and making sure that they're a part of the show. Yeah. That they're main evented WrestleMania this year, Bianca yeah. Belair versus Sasha Banks. Like depending on your definition of sport, like it is a truism that professional wrestling is perhaps the highest profile women's sport in in the country oh problem tennis maybe tennis yeah tennis is tennis serena is, williams is pretty and famous. like when the olympics roll around obviously like gymnastics yeah. uh track and field swimming soccer 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 maybe Soccer's i mean when, getting when, up there again when the world cup rolls around like they're more kind yeah. of based on or they revolve around events mm-hmm. uh but like continuous like just where where can you go every week to watch women doing feats of athleticism mm-hmm. you gotta watch pro wrestling mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's crazy too because the wrestlers today, they grew up in the era where it was like, we just want a pretty face with big fake tits to look hot and come out there and be stripped down to a brown panties. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, basically became good wrestlers. Trish Stratch became mm-hmm. a good wrestler, but she's 
there for the eye candy. Right. And now it's much, much less about the eye candy aspect, more about can yeah. you go out there? Do you have a look? And they're still gorgeous women. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but just, it's just, just like, yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, a, a arena where you're looking at bodies, male and female. Like you're just, it's mm-hmm. like, you've got to, it, there is a physical attractiveness component to everything. Of in, course. In the entertainment business. Well, it's all looks and stuff. Yeah. But now it's just, it's brutal stuff. They're doing hell in a cell matches. The girls they're doing, you know, and it's really built up the titles and the championships to be prestigious where, you know, you can be just as big as the men. Becky Lynch is her nickname is the man because she's <laughs> calls herself the man. She's the man of the company. doesn't matter. She's a woman. She's the freaking man. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I remember I was, I was a fan of China back in the day. Oh, she was kind of a trailblazer in that respect. I think like she started, that whole, you know, wrestling men mm-hmm. and ahead of her time in that sense, because like no one wanted to, you know, really lose to her in any significant way. Mm-hmm. But now intergender is actually a thing in the wrestling world. It's more the indies, the right. intergender, yeah. they don't really do yeah. it on the big stage. But as far um, as like competitive between men and women. But I mean, like you'll still get like inter a lot more like tag teams in there's some crazy stuff. The WWE. women on the independent circle, there's this girl. She's with a uh, WWE now, NXT Candice LeRae, but she made a career out of doing these brutal spots. Like the one I remember is, um, she was in a tag match against the young bucks and they put on special shoes that are kind of like, you know, cleats and soccer that, but with spikes instead of cleats mm. and kicked her super kick right in the face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> seriously, Why? isn't that insane? Just yeah. because, just for that moment of, <laughs> oh my God, what are they doing? They just kicked. What are those? They just <laughs> kicked a girl in the face with spiked sneakers. Like that's crazy. That's, that's why they kicked her. She did that. What are those? <laughs> Wait, speaking of shoes, uh, was Bret Hart wearing Jordans? Was that my imagination? <laughs> Sometimes he had. He went through. Um, I mean, a couple of different. Nu- I mean, I feel like in the in the one we watched. They they look like modified like boots like Jordans like, made into boots. Well, but they yeah. just had like the shiny black like trim that he Jordans wore, have. He always wore like kind of spats style style like boots like Jeff Hardy does. Does does he still? Well, there was match Bret Hart, which was kept typically the uh, one piece, the pink and the black singlet, yeah. singlet. But then there was also kind of casual Bret Hart, where he'd wear like the Calgary Hitman jersey, <laughs> or just like cool flannels man cool flannels i miss that that era too when like wrestlers showed up in street clothes they like it seemed like clothes they actually owned and now not like official company merchandise like they, they wear all the time now yeah there's like i want to sell their t-shirts there's great photos of like you know guys showing up in wcw when like hall and nash are just kind of like showing up in the crowd for a while like no one knows what they're doing they're wearing like pantera shirts <laughs> 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 It's like, oh, I wish they could still do that. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, they don't really just wear either suits or branded merchandise yeah. and nothing in the middle. No Calgary Hitman jerseys. Yeah. Whenever I see something like more modern, I am struck by like the presentation is like, you know, so it's not saying that it is real, but it's trying to fit into the landscape where like they might get highlights on Sports Center. Yeah. And like everything's very polished. And I'm like, eh, I kind of miss those Wildcat days when. They were like, no, wrestling is wrestling. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. They were embarrassed to be lumped in with the other athletes <laughs> who don't have predetermined finishes right. to the Super Bowl. Uh, one more thing I do want to show you guys are these yeah. pogs, because it wouldn't be what we're we watching Ooh. without Ooh. talking about pogs. Oh, I, I own these. Um, <laughs> not these in the picture, but I had these, you know, I had this yeah. set. 
any uh, any memorable ones from your childhood? I mean, this Undertaker one that you can see was like, oh my god. This Paul Bear is a slammer, by the way. Paul <laughs> Bear a, holding the urn. I have a pretty funny Bob Backlund story, actually. Yeah. So um, one of the wrestling events, right? It was a uh, my mom drops me and my brother off, and then comes and picks us up later. So she comes, uh, does that whole thing, comes at the end of the night. And, uh, you know, the security guard's like, whatever, just come in, lady. We don't care. So she's, everyone is watching the main event, you know, glued to their seats. No one's in the bathroom. So the Nassau Coliseum is basically just an outer ring and then everything inside. So she's wandering around. She sees a strange man in suspenders, red suspenders, who looked, yes, who looked like a crazy person. Just him and her. Do the first one. Then the first one is perfect. That's exactly what he was wearing. (laughs) She's like, there was just a strange man. Was actually wait, go down, go see the one in the bottom, bottom row, that one. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Power of Google image search. And she's like, who the hell was this weird man? And I'm like, that's a former WWF champion. Yeah, because he was promoting, like, he had a presidential run or some sort of politics <laughs> thing. He was promoting backstage. Yes. This was like the golden boy of WWF back in the 70s and early 80s. But then randomly in the 90s, too. He was like yeah. champion for a year. He's like a weird mess. Like, he, you know, Vince McMahon must have something on him because he just like calls him up to do, hey, Bob, you want to come here and just do something weird? It's like, okay. Sure thing. <laughs> Bob is game. Bob Backlund. Mr. Bob Backlund. Oh, man. Well, anything else you want to talk about before we move on? Do you have anything? Are there any other observations, Cam? Um. Uh, I was just going to say, I remember playing at a friend's house like a couple times. My friend Andy had some wrestling game and I tried to reach out to him and I don't think he could remember like the exact game because I think it was his brother's. Yeah. I think it might have been WWF Smackdown for PS1. Mm, yeah. The first one of those. And I like that. I, I love like Mortal Kombat. So like fighting grappling games are like my jam. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, for some reason, like... I'm good with those games on the controls, and it was very satisfying to play that wrestling game. Once I get my N64 back up and working, baby. Oh, you like yeah. some grabs? Let's. <laughs> well, the PS2, because the they did the SmackDown vs. Raw on the sequels. What mm-hmm. me and my friends used to do is just create each other and our teachers and everyone else, and just nice. everyone would wrestle each other and do a <laughs> Royal Rumble and just give each other like what we would wear as the wrestler, but we could never make ourselves... We always had to have somebody else make you so you couldn't have any influence uh, as to how you looked. Your friends who were being funny. dicks yeah. <laughs> had to make you. But oh, no. that, that would be even better because I love like that customization feature on oh, it's sports so games. Fun. Like, yeah, and if you could like make your own wrestler. You can wrestle as yourself. <laughs> you can wrestle your friends, but you're actually awesome. wrestling as you versus them, which is sick. <laughs> Yeah, I think my guy had orange pants. I had a pair of orange pants for a while. Then I don't know. I always like make like creating anything in video games. I always just like making the ugliest thing possible. I just love to make it look weird. Yeah. Well, yeah, even now in the games for the PS4, they have like a hundred save slots. What they have is they don't officially have them online, but they have every wrestler you could ever imagine that's not licensed in the game. Somebody has created them and uploaded them. So you can basically build a dream. Like I've, the last game I played, you could download superheroes. You could have like Superman <laughs> versus Freddy Krueger versus Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. Versus David Arquette. Versus David Arquette. <laughs> David Arquette would probably be not as strong as Superman. You know, to bring down the overall a bit. But yeah, that customization Wait, is, aspect. is Ghostface an option? Because you could do David Arquette versus Ghostface. Definitely. <laughs> oh, man. 
you got to watch this David Arquette documentary. <laughs> there, you will catch a glimpse of Ghostface-inspired tights that he's wearing. Oh, man. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. I like. I pause it just to make sure. It's like, oh my god, yes, awesome. I'd get Ghostface tights if I was David Arquette. Yeah. What else are you yeah, gonna say? You gotta play it up. Yeah. All right. That was a lot of knowledge being shared. So much. A lot of lessons learned and a lot of memories remembered. So now it's time to dream up some of our own ideas. Let's put the booking hat on. Let's make ourselves the bookers. (laughs) Give ourselves the pencil and come up with some pitches. They say the day when we I'm in it for riches Sequel, prequel, remake, wanna throw me some pitches for guffin I'm gonna go first Because I feel like you guys will have more uh, involved, passionate ones Go for it <laughs> And because, yeah, like I just said, fighting games are my jam uh, And all the wrestlers I'm familiar with and want to see represented Are all old and retired now Yeah. Um, I so, feel you. you know, I feel like <laughs> video games might be the best format for my pitch Uh, I basically just want Mortal Kombat meets Hell in a Cell. And it literally takes place in hell, (laughs) where the doomed souls of a bunch of classic wrestlers have to compete to fight their way back to the mortal world. Uh, and that's that's it. <laughs> just <laughs> give me give me heightened versions of oh, yeah. of all these wrestlers where like their origin stories are like supernatural, you know, like Undertaker's like a real zombie man and like and so on. Like everyone just has like heightened versions of themselves and the game is just hell in a cell yeah. and it's just playing up the hell aspect and the undead it would have to be yeah, yeah. in that attitude era because that's when you had like really out there gimmicks yeah and cody did you ever play wrestlemania the arcade game like once or twice okay. but i wasn't really yeah they it. did make an arcade game in like the mid 90s where it was a little bit like that. It was a tournament fighter. Each character had like weird, wacky weapons they would pull out. Mm. Like Shawn Michaels would hit people with like giant hearts. <laughs> and Undertaker like had tombstones he'd pull out of nowhere. And, like, <laughs> literal tombstones, not the move, the tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Smack people. I think, oh man, an Attitude Era version of that would be awesome. Yeah. That's what I want. I yeah, like I'm trying to think if they ever had a game like that that sort of was supernatural. Because they had some random wrestling games, but I think they've mostly yeah. stayed... And I like it because the presentation is so, like I said, like trending more towards realistic sports, mm-hmm. uh, even though we're all kind of in on it, just to like have that swerve and go arcadey, cartoony would be yeah. amazing. That would be my jam. Sweet. So my pitch is like a one-time only epic dream crossover pay-per-view, just a moment frozen in time somewhere between 1998 and 1999. It never happened, but maybe it did. Mm-hmm. And in the build-up, we're, we're, the show's happening at Madison Square Garden, so it's WWF turf. And the commentary team is Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, and Bobby Heenan. Bobby back together, back on WWF Mike. You know that he's not alive. I don't know. No, that's what I'm saying. This is this isn't taking place now. Okay, okay. okay. This is like again in that that liminal space in 1998, 1999. Okay, if, if it happened, that's when it would happen. Got it. So yes, there are, there are lots of deceased people on this card. <laughs> <laughs> Including the interviewer, Mean Gene Okerlund. There you go. And it's a two night in a more in a nod to more modern kind of sensibilities. It's, it's a two it's so big it has to be two nights. And night one, uh, the matches include three on three tag match with Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero against Owen Hart, Takamishinoku, and Ken Shamrock. Mm-hmm. This is the work rate match. Mm-hmm. And the WCW guys win that. So like the thread throughout these nights is like they're scoring points. Each company is scoring points. Who's going to win? Like how, how, the most points at the end. 
And then uh, Goldberg beats Vader, uh, just overpowering this humongous man. So 2-0 WCW, and then there's uh, a special match, the turncoat match, where wrestlers are eliminated in this four-on-four match Mm -hmm. uh, until only one is left standing to claim a winner-take-all cash prize so that, you know, it just kind of adds to, like, this sense of, like, well, who's going to betray people? Do people have split loyalties? Because all the participants in this match are guys who have jumped between the companies during their careers. So for WCW, you have Kevin uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, and Kurt Henning, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect. WWF side, you've got Farouk, Goldust, X-Pac, and a mystery partner who's revealed that night to be the big show. Dun, dun, dun. Who's jumping, like, in the timeline would be, like, just appearing in WWF. And I think this is the moment where we can have Jeff Jarrett show up and get beat down by everybody as he tries <laughs> to interfere for both sides because he's just he was the one who bounced back and forth the most during these years. And the WWF wins that one. And then The Rock versus DDP. Uh, with The Rock winning, just would be also awesome just because I think those guys are probably the two strongest Mike guys, like funniest, quick-witted. Hmm. be fun to just watch them wa- uh, insult each other before the match even starts. They're both the mm-hmm. people's champ, too. Yeah, and they're both yeah. the people's champ. Like, who's the real people's champion? And then last, main event of night one is a steel cage match between The Undertaker and Sting. Mm. Like, steel cage, make sure no one else, like, gets gets in, no other wrestler from either company can influence the outcome. But... Mm. Oops, Kane comes from underneath the ring anyway. No contest. From hell. Yeah. <laughs> Red lights and all. And then, like, the, the stinger at the end of night one is um, Mean Gene is going around interviewing people, and he catches Shawn Michaels, who's not wrestling at this point in his career. He's exiting Eric Bischoff's dressing room, and, you know, Mean Gene interviews him, and Michaels is like, I have a lot to think about. I, got, I, I can't talk right now. It's like, oh, is he gonna is he going to flip sides? What's going on? So it's still tied 2-2. At the beginning of night two, start off with like a tag match where the Hardy Boys beat just a whole bunch of tag teams like Edge and Christian and Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. Just kind of like cool, fun underdog story. Mm-hmm. And then there's an urban legend match <laughs> is what I'm calling it because it's Randy Savage against Triple H. Uh, yep. <laughs> for those who don't know, um, it's a big urban legend that. Randy Savage had an affair with Vince McMahon's daughter. She was very not of a legal and consenting age. So make of that what you will. I don't know. I don't know if I actually believe it. There was definitely a very weird thing with Savage and the WWE because he died in a car accident kind of tragically. But um, he never seemed Vince was very much welcoming. If you could make him money, he'd bring you back. But he brought Jeff Jarrett back eventually. But Savage just sort of. Don't speak of him. Don't mention him. But someone, people on the internet speculate that that stupid Slim Jim deal he had, that <laughs> made him a lot of money and none of that was going to the promoters. That was like his own thing mm. that made a lot of people. Because how many of those stupid Slim Jim commercials do you remember as a kid? Mm-hmm. Stop it to a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah, it's burned in my memory. It's burning. And it's like he was the one to have that spot. Even, even Hogan had a sponsorship deal that huge or Austin or Rock or anyone. So it could have been just Vince being a money grubbing, <laughs> where's my cut? Could be, yeah. Type of thing with that Slim Jim deal because he did make Savage a star, and you know it's all about the Slim Jims. So in this, yeah, in this match, I think we should have it sponsored by Slim Jim. The Urban mm-hmm. Legend match sponsored by Slim Jim, and Randy Savage has Miss Elizabeth with him. Triple H has Stephanie McMahon with with him, and. This also becomes a no contest because it's like their respective 
significant others are convincing them not like they're it's like this brutal match and just wailing on each other and like they don't even care about winning until they're just like we should stop doing this because it's hurting the people we love so it's i think wwe wf is winning by one okay i think i know the main event <laughs> i think i can figure it out but I, I'm, I'm still waiting so yeah the main the main event is eric bischoff versus vince mcmahon oh i was but, thinking hogan versus austin well actually austin is going to fight rick flair Oh. Before that main event with special guest referee Shawn Michaels. Mm. And the, the build-up's going to be great because like Riff Flair is all about like the, the high champagne lifestyle. And he was making fun of Austin for drinking beer and being a redneck. But Austin's like, I'm a real man, etc., etc. And he is, you know, whipping Riff Flair's ass until Shawn Michaels super kicks Austin because he's aligning himself with Ric Flair. He's like, I... Like, I like all the things Ric Flair likes, he's my guy. Oh, man. And Ric Flair beats Stone Cold That's Steve why Austin. he was in Bischoff's office yeah. before. <sighs> now, the main event, no disqualifications, Eric Bischoff versus Vince McMahon. And as they're like getting out and doing shtick, like, Eric Bischoff's like, no, no, no. I got something for you. And Bret Hart's music hits, and Bret Hart comes out. And he's like, I got a bone to pick with you, McMahon. I'm going to kick your ass for screwing me over. And mm. McMahon's like looking terrified until like he doesn't and starts laughing and then all of a sudden real american hits and it's hulk hogan and he's back in the red and yellow (laughs) and bishop's like what the fuck man (laughs) and he's you know hogan's marching out to like stand for vince and then stone cold runs in and attacks vince because he's against vince but then goldberg runs in and lays out bischoff (laughs) two guys who hate their bosses and then eventually rowdy rowdy piper comes out kind of as like (laughs) Like kind of as the MC of this whole thing, and he's asking the audience, "Now wait a second. Like, do you really want to see two conniving middle-aged businessmen cheat all these wrestlers out of their money and their main event spots? Like, they shouldn't be in the main event. They're not wrestlers." And so wrestlers come flooding from the back, and they take turns beating up the two tycoons, doing all their <laughs> signature moves and cutting promos, and they all pose together as the show goes off the air. So there is no Aww. winner, but the wrestlers themselves. What a sweet ending to a pay-per-view. It's all the wrestlers coming together and celebrating and standing in harmony. Faces, heels, WWE, WCW. You've achieved peace in the the wrestling world. I call it the star peace. (laughs) That's why this would never happen. That's what we should call it. Just like the the show that never happened. I say you load up WWF No Mercy. Load up No Mercy and make that card happen. And I want to see what happens. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right, oh, Cody. Okay. Um, so my, my continuation of this is something we've, we've briefly touched on. Is um, So WCW goes out of business in 2001 and uh, is bought by the WWE. And there, were, there was an attempt to make a rival, this uh, TNA Impact, which kind of was always seen as second rate. Had a couple good matches, had a couple of talents, you know. Hulk Hogan showed up, Sting, so on and so forth. But recently in the past year or so, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, his son, has brought together a bunch of talent. The Young Bucks, the two guys who kicked the, with the spike <laughs> shoe. 
God. And then uh, Kenny Omega, who was the guy from known from the Japan wrestling scene, where he was a main eventer over there for many years. If you've seen the viral video where like he wrestles an eight-year-old girl, yes, I think that's Kenny Omega. <laughs> <laughs> that's another great wrestling video to check out: is Omega versus uh, an eight, eight-year-old. An eight-year-old like kicks his ass too. It's great. <laughs> and then uh, Cody Rhodes, which is just the name alone. How can you how can you dislike anyone named Cody? But they basically <laughs> all came together and just started another wrestling company that has really skyrocketed to popularity. I was actually watching it before coming over here. It's on a Wednesday nights, Dynamite. So I guess my pitch is to bring back the rivalry. Wow. But this time, the WWE is not the WWE. The WWE is the WCW. They're relying on the old names, the names we've known and yeah. heard of. They've got Edge in the main event. They're talking about bringing John Cena back for SummerSlam. And Roman Reigns is a big name, but it's just relying on that talent, relying on sort of the established names and the safe way and the big, because it's all now corporate too. Mm-hmm. It's, they got the deal with Peacock. They're on Fox every Friday night. <laughs> so they're the big corporate entity. And yes. meanwhile, AEW, they're the upstart. They're the ones pushing new talent. They got this kid MJF from Long Island who's this fantastic smug heel. But they're relying on these younger up-and-coming guys and being the edge that all the fans like me are going, like, I don't really watch Raw or SmackDown that much. <laughs> but I'm tuning in just to see what are they going to do next. Hmm. And it's a matter of, two of who's going to show up because the WWE fires these guys and AEW signs them up and makes them into superstars. Dean Ambrose become Jan Moxley. Rusev became Miro. So it kind of is interesting just to see exactly what happened there, how WWE is not learning from their own mistakes that they used to defeat WCW, and they're letting it happen all over again, where they're pushing out these mid-carders with potential because they don't have anything for them, and they're going to the other company and making them tons of money. So I'm hoping AEW can just keep growing and growing and growing until we honestly have what we had back in the day. Mm. Because you can already see it on the internet where there's loyalists and every little thread. There's <laughs> WWE fanboys and AEW fanboys. Oh, Vince is this. Oh, your company is blah, blah, blah. Crap like that. But it definitely reminds me of that day. And the one thing that we all shared in common is we all had our chosen wrestling. It's this brand loyalty thing of Coke versus Pepsi. You know, Nintendo versus Sega, you choose the product and you don't want to watch the other product. And everyone who watches the other product, they're all a bunch of idiots and you're going to tell them that. But that sort of does mentality does really it's cool for a child to have because to choose your brand and know your wrestlers. And like Eric mentioned, you know, when Bret Hart went to WCW, but you just it's like a totally different thing. Who are these other guys? Oh, Hogan's still there. I don't know this guy. I don't know that guy. So while I'm personally grown and above it all and I can happily watch both and be fans, I do love the fact that we actually have another competition because competition makes everyone at the top of their game. And far too often these past 20 years, it's been 2001 to 2021, the WWE has been on autopilot because what's the competition? You're going to go watch Impact? Of course not. So if we want to make it PG, if we want to have John Cena make boring matches and beat every single person and be our champion, then we're going to do it. And now, nope, you got to be on your toes because AEW is here and they're coming along and they're basically doing the same playbook you did with less money, with less talent, quote unquote, less name talent, but they take what they can get and they're really getting an audience because again, they're listening to the fans. 
they're pushing the people the fans want them to push instead of shoving someone down their throat. Nice. So that is my revival, is that it's currently happening right now and continues to happen. And until AEW goes out of business, if they can continue to grow, we are going to have the second boot, the second coming of World War II, basically. <laughs> the World, Monday Night Wars continue. The Monday Night Wars too, with two <laughs> brands and all the animosity and all the love and all the admiration for your specific brand and screw the other guys. And that feeling that anything can happen. Anything can happen. And maybe one day there will be another invasion angle. Another Scott Hall will come down unannounced <laughs> from the thing and get into the ring and say, you know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. And just kick this off for another entire generation who missed out. And the kids of the people who grew up watching it in 1998 are growing up watching this and being involved. When So that's my idea for hopefully AEW can really come up and really 20 years someone have talking about this war. On the podcast. It's, it's happening right now. You're really selling it. Right? <laughs> Were you saying that, like, the theatrics have kind of gone away? Like, the the the, the, the Undertaker levels or the Mankind levels? Right. Are they still, like, kind There's of... definitely gimmicks in AEW. Orange Cassidy, the guy, the discount Ryan Gosling guy, he's mm-hmm. there. There's... But in WWE, is it kind of more, like, sporting? Like, WCW is kind of edging mm, towards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's the problem with WWE is everyone kind of has the same gimmick, which is mm. I used to be an indie wrestler and now mm. I'm here and I'm going to make <laughs> a name for myself. And there's very few actual characters. Okay. Yeah, bring back the characters, the theatrics. Yeah. That's what that's, AEW that's what, is that's doing. That's what made me interested and it's probably why I lost interest. That's what makes it a unique art form. Yeah. They have a luchador dinosaur, they have a girl who's an <laughs> alien beautiful they That's have amazing a, they have a female dentist whose whole thing is like <laughs> doing crap with your mouth and all this stuff but that that's awesome that's what is bringing people in cool. is these characters and all this crazy stuff that they're all doing and just really honestly compete matches you know a wrestling dentist i love it the wrestling dentist isaac yankum lives doctor <laughs> she's the champion dr Britt baker dmd <laughs> oh, and nice. she's dating a uh, wwe guy too DM, love it. Is she a heel? She's got to be a heel. She's a heel, but they like her. They're oh, okay. cheering. She's supposed I mean, to be a heel. A dentist is a heel. Natural <laughs> heel. <laughs> I think she's actually faced. I think on tonight she was supposed to face. Um, it's Vicky Guerrero and uh, oh yeah, Vicky Guerrero's back versus um, DMT and then her person, uh, Nyla Rose. I think is with Vicky, and then I don't know. She has a. Much less. I'm I'm aware of AEW, um, but yeah, like you said, you're really selling it. Like I I've only like randomly caught it like at a hotel. Like I'm. It is a some, really we're traveling fun somewhere. Like, watch. Oh, I'm surfing. Like oh, there's this is different. But they have gang warfare. Chris Jericho's faction is going up against MJF's, and it's just five on five. They have a stadium series match because where they shot out of all during the COVID place was um, Daly's place, which is sort of attached to the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium. It's sort of like off for like concerts and stuff. Yeah, it's like a venue. So they basically had a match that just took place in the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium. And you got to actually, they were battling backstage to the front offices. Urban Meyer made a cameo appearance. Just mm. like they burst out an <laughs> office. He's there trying to teach books and he throws the, them a football. The coach of the... The coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars yeah. The former Ohio State coach. <laughs> uh, one of the most uh, famous and world-renowned college football coaches of all time. There you go. Now trying it with the Jags. But just stuff like that where they do and they running each other over with golf carts. And just all these <laughs> insane angles and stuff. 
but it's what gets people interested. You know, like even Cam, I see you guys, you've talked about it. It's like, oh, that's what I want to see. I want to yeah. see the characters. I want to yeah. see the silliness. That's what brought me in in the first place. Yeah. So if any of this brings you in, promoters, you like our ideas, bring your Rudy Poo candy asses down to the SmackDown Hotel and we'll let you know what the bottom line is. All right, guys, one more time before we leave, we got to ask ourselves one more question. And that is pro wrestling. What were we watching? What were we watching? All right, I'm going to split it between the two companies. Go for it. With WCW, uh, I was watching an outdated mode of entertainment grappling with the threat of becoming obsolete. Uh, And with the WWF... The further blurring of the line between reality and fiction in pro wrestling. A form of entertainment that delights in the uncertainty of whether or not the violence is real. And I was watching Mankind relish in his own pain and torture. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Well, I feel like what I was watching is like what I've come to understand pro wrestling to be which is a wholly unique form of folk storytelling. It's live performance art and athletic exhibition that like immediately responds to audience feedback. And there's just a constant unapologetic blurring of the line between what is fact and what is fiction can do things that no other medium can. And it's also kind of one of the first uh, things in pop culture that I could truly call my own. I came to it without influence uh, from like close family members, a little bit of encouragement from friends, but I do remember those early days channel surfing and just being captivated by it, even for a moment. Mm-hmm. Just being like, what is this? I have to learn more. So it was like something that was truly mine. And I think that's a big reason why I have kind of kept it in the background of my life for so long, despite like, I'm not necessarily sure I would call myself a wrestling fan because I don't watch regularly and i i haven't been to a live show in a long time but i definitely have an interest like i i can't (laughs) deny that i have an interest and that it does still captivate me uh to watch and to to think about i mean i guess to kind of expand on your point eric i was watching a very unique medium of fictional storytelling that's different from pretty much anything else on tv in that you're watching their careers happen right before your eyes and their highs and their lows and their get better to rise to the top of the card, main event, the pay-per-views and make the money. You get to witness it happen. And there's obviously backstage conversations that you're not privy to, but with all the dirt sheets, with all the rumor mills, with all the people who make the money selling and pitching those rumors, you can kind of understand the full picture and you can kind of watch a guy like John Cena go from nobody to the biggest star. And I witnessed his entire career firsthand. And fun fact, his first ever movie role was Ready to Rumble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as a power lifter in a random cameo. But you go from, I remember I was in a hotel room in Europe, I believe, watching SmackDown when Kurt Angle made an open challenge and John Cena answered it. I was all the way across, not even in America, all the way across the freaking Atlantic Ocean witnessing the debut of what would go on to be one of the big wrestlers and star of fast nine, all this stuff and just getting to sort of be a part of history and always knowing that 
if you don't tune in tonight, something might happen that's going to shock you. That's going to shock the world. And I can even think of one thing where I literally, <laughs> I went to the bathroom at the wrong time and I came back and my brother's like, you just missed the crazy, the CM Punk <laughs> pipe bomb promo. Oh, okay. I was yeah. in the bathroom oh, no. when that promo was going on. And just, my brother was like, oh my God, you just missed yeah. the most craziest oh. thing you've ever seen that's so painful but you have to watch because that moment where mankind gets thrown off the cell and you realize it's live it's happening right now you don't know if he's okay Mm -hmm. you don't know what happens it it blows your mind in a way that no other medium can because you get to know these people on a level you don't really know them but more of their personalities are in the character than any real scripted thing it's just an actor playing a role of, you know, a pirate or a fantasy dude or a whatever. But this is really, you know that Stone Cold Steve Austin's character is based on his personality. The Rock's character is based on his personality. It's basically taking your own personality, dialing it up to 11, and hoping it's charismatic enough to make it go. But just to be able to follow it, and even though I don't watch it as religiously as I used to, it still makes it easier with the internet to sort of see the big moments mm-hmm. Watch it the next day, even not not the next day. When it happens, someone has uploaded it to the internet if something big happens. So you can sort of, even now, keep in tune and just figure out what's going on and see these guys. Right now, Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre is the big fight on Raw for the uh, championship. Both of these guys came into WWE, were pushed to the moon. They both failed. They both went to work for other companies, specifically Impact. And now they came back stronger and better and now they're both main event superstars. And to sort of watch that progression and see the low point of their career to the point where Vince said, I don't want you anymore. You're done. Get out. Yep. And now they're main eventing every pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley's WWE champion. It's, it's just it's crazy to follow them and just see the highs <laughs> and see the lows. And just be there every step of the way. It is a real-life comic book universe. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, actually, it's the one that's happening in our world. <laughs> Damn it, Cody. I love your passion for this subject. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I just, I love professional wrestling. I, it's part of my childhood for sure, where I can just blab and blab and blab and blab and blab and go on and on. I feel like I've learned so much. Yes, Cam. I hope this has been very instructive. No, yeah. This has been long stretches where we're just explaining. And it rekindled just my memory of, of Hell in a Cell, which is like truly <laughs> fantastic, phenomenal television. Like that, that's like one of the greatest like moments i've ever seen oh just just from a narrative like yeah shocking um just like something i knew i've never seen before mick foley is the goat yeah i recommend beyond the mat the documentary from Mm. 1999 if Mm -hmm. you've never seen that Mm -mm. dark side of the ring i kind of want to read his 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 books yeah Mm. he's got two of them so he's the crazy thing is for a guy who takes the bumps he does he Mm -hmm. has like a near perfect memory of recounting exactly what he felt on that day and exactly what he was doing where he has so much head trauma, but he can just remember everything and it takes you through. He's just a freak of nature. (laughs) It's especially interesting. His early days too, before he became a main eventer, when he was just like in WCW and Vader ripped his ear off and stuff like that. He was doing weird overseas tours that he does (laughs) the japanese death matches which is just exploding c4 and barbed wire instead of the ropes and just oh he's lived a life and now he sells delightful cameos online Mm. you can get him to wish you happy birthday oh man (laughs) 
So he's lived a good life, though. Yeah, I hope he's uh, taking painkillers. <laughs> As have we lived a very good evening talking about wrestling. I, if you told me <laughs> that I would be discussing wrestling in this depth, you know, I would say I don't believe you, but I <laughs> like the sound of it. <laughs> And I have enjoyed every second of this thoroughly. So thank you, Cody, for joining us. Yes. Very welcome. Thanks for having thank me you. on, guys. Is there anything you would like to plug at this moment with this forum that you have? Oh, God. Absolutely nothing, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair enough. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> I don't have a Twitter. I don't have an Instagram. Watch. What is it? A- AEW? Watch AEW Dynamite. Yeah, you've pretty much plugged AEW. That's, <laughs> Wednesdays like at 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Let's make this rivalry happen. Let's make this rivalry happen. Somebody give Cody, somebody out there, please give Cody the pencil. I feel like you would be a very good writer for a wrestling show. I'd Vince Russo the whole, I'd be the character coming in and I don't, no, I don't. 10 minute promos to start every show. (laughs) Trust me. I don't believe that. I feel like over the course of this podcast, you have demonstrated a very, very strong understanding of what makes a wrestling story good that and all I, goes out the window because that's the, <laughs> this is the thing about wrestlers is every single one of them that succeeds is selfish at heart yeah. nobody is doing it for the other person you're doing it for you you're doing it to build your own star and if you get sucked into See? that world you can't be and it is that awareness cody that would make you a very <laughs> effective wrestling writer you know how no this it's the same thing where i, I don't want well, superpowers because i'd become yeah. a supervillain okay. you just you can't Fair enough. We'll just have to settle for your fanfic federation. That'd be nice. My WWE 2K18 yeah. save files with Superman fighting Freddy yes. Krueger. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That'll work. I'd watch that. All right. Well, for us, you can find us online, uh, whatwerewatching.com, and our Bandcamp page where you can listen to all our episodes. Social medias, got the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for What Were We Watching. And drop us a line if any of this has triggered memory in your in your mind and in your heart we want to know uh about your wrestling memories so write us what were we watching at gmail.com cody you are a phenomenal one you are the people's champion and you have been a wonderful guest so just thank you again you're welcome very welcome and for cody and cam i'm eric you've been listening to what were we watching and that's the bottom line because don't go said so. Yeah.